You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 53 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, Alec Hop- Alex Hobson and Peter Barracchini. Alec. What a way to start off the show, boys. But, <laughs> off uh, a really great start. Yeah, off we to a great start. months now, Forbes. You, I know, on? I know, guys. It's, a, it's late <laughs> Sunday night. Come on. It's almost Monday. Um, but lots to talk about, as always, boys. Uh, obviously, TNT named their broadcast team. Uh, Chara returns to where it all started and vaccinations getting around the league. But first off, Peter, let's throw it over to you. How are you doing out your way? Ah, doing great. I know last week you guys were talking about crime and penalties. I got a chance to watch that this week and holy shit, man, that was something like, I, I like that was next level stuff. Like it, like it was like mix of like, I mean, it, I, he actually said in the, in the actual show, real life, Tony Soprano with hockey. And I'm just like, my mind was blown throughout the whole entire thing. Just the fighting, the intensity, the aggressiveness. And even the fact that at one point they got the address of one player that injured their guy and they were, they wanted the player to make a decision and he thought he was joking and they weren't that was crazy. Like this whole entire story was insane, but that's probably the better than the last dance documentary. Cause when it involved hockey and then just hearing everything unfold after one, after another, that was just intense, man. So who's getting a Danbury trashers Jersey when they, uh, when they hit, I want one so badly. (laughs) I want want to get a Mike Rupp one. We were, we were talking about it. We were talking about (laughs) investments Earlier on, before we started, that would be yeah. an investment right there. A Danbury Trashers jersey. I yeah. think I'd get one for uh, Ruman Nadir. I think he'd be he'd be there the guy. Yeah, back. Look, mm-hmm. if it's if it's good enough for Drake to wear, I think uh, anybody should be be looking at getting a Danbury uh, Trashers jersey. But yeah, definitely uh, definitely a great documentary. Uh, really puts into perspective kind of the 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 shit that goes on behind the scenes with some teams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know they knew from the get-go that this team was going to be a little bit different, but um, yeah, hell of a documentary. If you haven't checked it out, definitely go on to Netflix, check it out. If you don't have an account, get an account. Um, Sign up for the 33 days just to watch it. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, But Alex out your way, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm, uh, I'm kind of getting back into the swing of things. Uh, active wise, I was talking to Peter before we started recording there. I'm uh, just, I got back from ball hockey right before we started recording and uh, teams off to a pretty shaky start this year. We're we're on three so far. So (laughs) things aren't looking too great, but uh, we're, we're, we're getting better with every game. I felt like Elia McKay about there tonight. I had so many chances, but I just could not convert. Did you request a trade? Uh, not quite. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Who's the GM of that team? Uh, uh, I think we're all technically the GM because we're the ones that formed it. So, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know who I'd go for a request there. I don't, know who, I, I don't know who I'd talk to. You're your own GM, agent, representative, whatever you want to call it. And no, I, I got the ice, I got the ice time or I guess you can't really call it ice time when you're not playing on ice, but I got the, I got the minutes tonight. So I, I can't really, I, I can't really complain. They gave me every opportunity. I just had stone hands, but uh, yeah, that whole hope we got another game Tuesday night. So we're hoping for better fortunes then. 
There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. Um, out my way, boys. Uh, not not a whole lot going on. My little guy uh, turned 16 months today, so that's always exciting. I keep telling my wife we're going to be getting him some uh, some skates come December. Congrats. Uh, she she thinks it's too early. I think uh, you know it's just just in time. So it's never um, too early. No, that's right. He's going to be a year and a <laughs> half. He, he should be on skates already. Just, just for the record, I thought you were about to say your son turned 16 and I was like, hold, no. hold, hold, hold up for how, how old are you again? You're like 33, right? Hey, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make any mistakes when I was younger, even though some might suggest I did. Uh, I'm sorry, boys. I'm taking, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to take the high road here. I'm trying to take the high road here. Um, it's, uh, it's all good. We, we won't get into it. <laughs> uh, anyways um, anyways yeah <laughs> as i mentioned lots to talk about obviously we have uh, author and hockey historian mike Camito on the show this week great interview it was short as we mentioned after we interviewed him but a hell of a lot of information you know just in that 20 25 minutes that we had him on um definitely a guy we want to we want to get back on and talk mm-hmm. with more but Man, this guy, this guy knows every little bit of information there is to know about the game. And uh, if you're not following him already on Twitter, definitely check him out because you'll learn all the uh, all the little ins and outs of the game that uh, that have have taken place over the last number of years. So um, we'll we'll I, get to that in just a little bit. I followed him uh, a couple of days before we did that interview with him, and the first tweet of his that I saw was on this day in 2010, the Maple Leafs trade for Phil Kessel. And trade yeah. Tyler Sagan, Dougie Hamilton, and uh, Jared, Jared Knight. Now, Knight yeah. now, now I'm thinking of unfollowing him just because, just because <laughs> he just timed out perfectly. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm kidding, Mike. I'm kidding. I'm not going to follow you. I love, I love your content. Yeah, it's almost like he knew. Eh? He's like, these guys follow me. He's yeah. going to go on a Maple Leafs podcast. Yeah. Let's just throw some heat. Next thing I you know, he's ma- going to. I was just about to say. Next thing you know, he's going to do the Dion Phaneuf and Phil Kessel extensions. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just, I was just going to say that I, uh, I, I actually, I, I pointed out in uh, the replies to that tweet, uh, I pointed out that I didn't appreciate that. And then he was like, don't worry, if it makes you feel any better, I left that one out of the book. So oh, that's, go, all, that's all that matters. He, if it sees Twitter, whatever, but as long as it didn't make the official book, I, I, I won't have to rip out a page when I buy it. He already knows us very well. Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, speaking of bad Maple Leaf deals, uh, we'll jump into some quick news here. We are going to also uh, preview the Metro Division as we did the Atlantic last episode. Um, but before we get to that, uh, the Coyotes bring in JFJ. Um, you know, if you look at look back, I've, I've spent uh, – I'm actually – I want to touch on the Hockey Writers for a quick second. I'm, I'm now the most tenured writer at the Hockey Writers – uh, just finishing off my eight, eighth year with the Hockey Writers. So if you look back on some of my pieces there, uh, I did review a couple of uh, drafts that uh, JFJ was running the show here in Toronto. Um, not ideal. And I'll tell you what, yeah. uh, spoiler alert, the grades were no higher than an F. Um, so... <laughs> Anyways, think? when you can't even shoot for a D, <laughs> you know, you're not doing something right. Yeah, no, I, I think I may have given him a D on one, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously not, not uh, school passing grades for sure. Especially early on, some of his trades that he made, granted he wanted to be competitive with the Brian Leach and the Ron Francis deals, but the draft picks that he gave up, man, I know I, I did a massive look back on some of the past drafts and failures that the Maple Leafs could have had. And man, the names in 2005 and six were just wow. Yeah. But those, wow. like, you have to consider too, like the Wesley, the leech, the, the, the Francis, mm-hmm. it was typical Leafs, right? Like it was 
bringing guys in at the ends of their careers when for one last run for one last run it just Mm -hmm. it didn't make sense and you know (laughs) gave up some some significant pieces down the road obviously those pieces weren't used in the in the right way all the time but um yeah i mean the coyotes you know best of luck uh they can can use all the help they can get at the draft and uh if it if his uh if his um yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But anyways, <laughs> we'll move on from that. I know if you're listening right now, watching watching you try to say that with a straight face was hilarious. Oh, that's that's why I hide behind this mic. I'm so used to wearing a mask all day. Now I have to hide behind a mic so nobody can see my, my facial reactions. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, another former Leaf, Tyler Bozak, re-signed with the St. Louis Blues. Um, Alex, your thoughts on on this signing by the Blues? Uh, I miss Bozy, man. That's all. That's all I'm gonna say. He's one of those guys that, you know, you talk about bringing guys in for a last run or something. Like he's the guy that I would totally take back uh, when he's on his last legs on the edge of retirement. He was uh, a lot of fun to watch, and uh, obviously the Blues got him for a great price. And if you're sticking him in your bottom six as a dead defensive center who can chip in some offense here and there, it's uh, really there's no risk involved in that deal. So good for the Blues and good for Bozak. I'm glad that they're kind of uh, they're they're kind of growing their family down there. Yeah, no, and it's. I'm glad you brought up his family because I think one of the best parts about Bozy over the years have just been watching, like, you know, seeing his kids go down to the glass and bang on the glass <laughs> when he, he skates by and the interactions that he had. And I didn't really understand that kind of stuff until I had a kid of my own and how, how special that can be. But, um, yeah, it's it's amazing. I always ha- I always felt that with James Reimer, too. I thought that was, you know, he's a guy that just a class act, especially when the, the organization was going through such tough times. But um peter any any quick words on on bozy sign resigning in st louis yeah he he got a lot of flack in toronto given the fact that he was playing alongside phil castle and then james and reeves like and the production was still poor and that production still didn't quite go as well playing with james and reeves like, and, Jane, and uh, mitch marner early on but you know what for what he was as sort of that two-way kind of centerman not really putting up big numbers, 40, 50, he did a serviceable job that the contract just didn't quite reflect. And I think people need to remember that, you know, maybe expectations were a little high on him considering Toronto didn't have a number one center at that time. So they were hoping that maybe this college kid can turn into something. He turned into a great NHL player. It's just, you know, instead of like focusing on the negative aspect of what he could have been, focus on what he was and he was great at what he did. Yeah, almost one of those college signings before the college signings became big, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, he was he was kind of ahead of his time a little bit, I think. But um, yeah, I, I'm like Alex. You know, having him having him back for one last run would have been nice. I know there were some rumors floating around that maybe he signs this year with them, and obviously the Leafs have a lot of uh, forward depth right now that they don't need that. But um, yeah, I mean, all the best to him in, in St. Louis, and hopefully he can go on one more run before uh, before it's all said and done. Uh, the Blues also gave PTOs to Michael Frolik and James Neal. Um, obviously, two guys kind of on the back nine of their careers. Um, any thoughts on this, Peter? Obviously, two guys that have kind of slowed down in terms of production, but um, not not bad PTOs to to maybe add a little fuel to the fire at Blues camp. Yeah, and, you know, it just creates more internal competition, especially for someone like Michael Foley, who was, you know, pretty good, solid third-line winger. Same with James Neal. He was a pinnacle top six guy. Now he's sort of fallen off, and now he's got to try and find a different role right now. So 
obviously, you know, they want to try and be a little more competitive than what they were last year. I mean, they brought in Pavel Bukinevich. It's going to up, you know, their top six. Vladimir Tarasenko, it looks like he is going to come back to start the season and attend training camp with them. Uh, there's not a trade in the near future. So if he sticks around and tries to prove his worth, then I think the Blues have got something going great, both in the top end and in the bottom end of their uh, roster, if Frolik and Neil deserve to earn a contract. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I, I think that to add that little bit of competition internally is, is exactly what you need. Uh, Alex, anything that you wanted to add to that? No, I mean, they're, they're, they're PTOs, so you can't really complain about it. That's what I found. I mean, you know, it, it, I, you, we see a lot of people get offered PTOs, especially, and you know what, the, the Leafs are kind of a bad example here because every single move, regardless of how important it is, gets blown out of proportion in Toronto. But, you know, it, it never it never makes sense to put any negative energy towards your team signing a PTO because that they, it, it's literally a tryout. And, you know, if they impress in training camp, you sign them, they can become a contributor for your team. And if it doesn't work out, they literally walk away and it's like they were never there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, Neil and Froelich are both players worth taking flyers on and especially for a PTO when they're, when they're coming out there and you know that they want to prove to the blues that they're still, they still belong in the NHL and they still belong, uh, on a team like that. So I, I, I don't see, uh, any fallback for the blues on this one. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's PTO season. You're going to see a lot of teams kind of get those last ditch effort uh, guys to, to jump on board and see what they can offer. Uh, there, like, like you said, there's an op- opportunity for these guys to kind of make, uh, make that last push uh, for the, their careers. And, and, you know, there's really no, no bad, bad um, result for the team either. So um, definitely, definitely a good move by the Blues to bring those two guys in. I know Fro Leak's a good guy for for the PK. He's a guy that's been uh, been there in Calgary for for a number of years and was a big piece for them. So, um, you know, great moves by St. Louis. Um, on top of that, we did have Zach Smith retire officially from the NHL. He spent the majority of his career with the Ottawa Senators, uh, last playing in the NHL in 2019-20 with the Chicago Blackhawks. Over 662 regular season games, he had 98 goals and 204 points to go along with his 722 penalty minutes. We talked a little bit about the Danbury Trashers before we uh, record or at the start of this episode. Um, he's a guy that likely would have fit right in with that team. Your thoughts on his career, Alex? Uh, you know, I don't have too many memories of Zach Smith besides I remember him being a total pain in the ass against the Leafs, but that was pretty mm-hmm. much ever that was pretty much anybody on Ottawa, honestly. So, um, yeah, I mean, good, good career for him. He's a good bottom six guy for the majority of it. And yeah, I definitely think that he would have uh, been a good fit on that Danbury Trashers team if he was maybe, uh, maybe, uh, 20 years older and was playing or playing around that time, but our twenties, maybe a little much 10 years older, we'll say, but, uh, yeah, overall, a solid career. Can't complain. Uh, can't complain over what he got done. He's uh, uh, he he was a solid bottom six forward, and that's yeah, not not much else said. Peter, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, Alex basically basically covered most of it, but he still had pretty good production wise. I mean, highest was thirty six points. So really, people are probably going to sneer at that and be like, "Oh, it's only thirty six points, whatever." In twenty fifteen sixteen, but you know what? For him that's a career best for where he was doing, where he was at in the lineup and 25 goals at that too. That's still pretty impressive, no matter how you look at that. So great career, really tough player to go up against. You just wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, 
I'm like Alex. I remember him being a tough, tough customer against the Leafs, just always a thorn in our side and uh, seemed to, of those 98 goals, he seemed to score a fair amount against the Leafs. I don't know if it was just me <laughs> or just the way it seemed, but uh, definitely a guy who was able to get it done in the Battle of Ontario all the time. So um, yeah, uh, good for him uh, leaving on his own terms and, and that's always nice to see as well. Um, big news from TNT, NHL on TNT named uh, their their broadcast team. Um, some big names here. Uh, obviously, Wayne Gretzky tops them all. Anson Carter, Rick Tockett, Paul Bissonette, uh, Eddie Olchuk, Darren Pang, Kenny Albert, Brendan Burke, Keith Jones, Jennifer Bodrell. I mean, the list just goes on. Jackie Redmond, obviously, there as well. Um, thoughts on this team, uh, Peter? Obviously, uh, like I mentioned, there's some big names there. Uh, shout out to Jackie Redmond. Went to the same school as I did in university. So shout out to her. Congrats to her. Big accomplishment of what she's done throughout her career. Um, yeah, all-star lineup. I mean, Bottero, Redmond, Gretzky, Bissonette. I mean, you you got a lot of the former players. And it's, even Anson Carter, too. I really loved Anson Carter on the mm-hmm. Sportsnet um, you know, panel. I mean, very insightful, considering he was what, he was a really damn good player when he was playing distance with boston vancouver and i believe edmonton that's off the top of my head i believe as well mm-hmm. so they got they got a really good all-star lineup there for tnt and i know espn holds the like main rights but for them to have that kind of coverage and even eddie olchuk and Kitty albert to you know be the main lead broadcast for the games i mean what more can you ask for yeah alex um I believe he also played Anson Carter also played for the Columbus blue jackets for a short period of time as yep. well. Uh, mm-hmm. Had the dreads flowing out of his, uh, his helmet. So <laughs> I always love that. Um, who are you looking forward to uh, seeing kind of put on a show for TNT here? For a second there, I thought you were going to say Anson Carter also played for the Danbury trashers. <laughs> I was going to be like, I missed, I missed that part of the documentary. Uh, no, but uh I I don't know. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing everybody. Honestly, I'm kind of intrigued uh, to see how this broadcast team meshes together and how they work, because I I find that with the lineup they've named, there's, it seems like there's the perfect mix of stardom analysis and personality there. You've got Wayne there who, you know, he's not exactly known for having the most glaring, you know, personality or the spiciest takes, but I mean, it's Wayne fucking Gretzky. Like obviously, obviously you're going to look and you're going to want to hear what he has to say on certain plays. And then Anson Carter, like Peter was saying, I loved what he did on Sportsnet this year. I thought he was a great addition to the panel during the playoffs. And obviously you got Biz Nasty in there and he's going to add some, he's going to add a lot of personality to that. And he's definitely going to offer a different perspective than maybe someone like Wayne Gretzky would. <laughs> two, two very different players there. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the lineup and uh, good for Jennifer, for Jennifer Botterill too. I enjoyed her on uh, Hockey Night in Canada this yeah. year, and that's going to be a great opportunity for her. Uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing what that lineup accomplishes this year. I think it'll be a pretty entertaining watch. Yeah, I mean, one one guy that you guys haven't mentioned either is Rick Talkett, and I think he's he's a guy yeah. who, again, he's he's very much like Gretzky in terms of being maybe not as outspoken when it comes to you know being on the screen, but at the same time, he's a guy that uh, you know has a lot to say and, and knows a fair amount about hockey. Obviously, otherwise, he wouldn't have the coaching history that he has as well. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's like you guys said, all-star lineup, uh, Gretzky's going to be fun to watch. I think biz Nasty's going to try and challenge everybody on that panel to, uh, to a tilt at some point, uh, maybe, maybe add some, some spice to that, to that lineup as well. So that'll be definitely fun to watch and, uh, might have to watch a few more games on TNT this year. That's all I'm going to say. Oh yeah. 
Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Uh, Chara, as you mentioned, back to where it all began. Um, Signs a one-year deal with the New York Islanders. Now, what's crazy about this is this is a guy who, 6'9", 250, maybe has lost, I'm not going to say a step, he's probably lost four or five steps in the last couple of years, but 1,608 regular season games. Right now, that ranks him fifth all-time among NHL defensemen in games played. And if he does play a full year, he will surpass Chris Chelios as the top overall um, defenseman for games played. Um, do you see this working out, Alex, in New York? Um, you know what? I, <laughs> I'm not convinced that Chara is ever going to be done until you visibly see him getting pulled off the ice. He's just, you know, I, I distinctly remember watching that 2013 series against the Bruins. And at one point, my dad was like, hang him up, Chara. And obviously, here we are eight years later, and he is still yet to hang him up. So, uh, yeah, he's slowly becoming the, uh, the Yarmir Yager sort of of the NHL at this point. Because, obviously, Yager played in the NHL until he was 46, 47 years old. Still playing in the Czech Republic now. He's just a freak of nature, that guy. But uh, Zdeno Chara, I mean, you know what? I... Obviously, I, I, I grew up hating him because he played for the Blue, the Bruins, the Bruins, and I uh, he was a pain in the ass to for, to watch my team play against. But there are very few scenarios where I won't have respect for a forty four year old who's just playing at the level he is still. And uh, yeah, uh, one one cool fact also about his uh, uh, um, his return to the Islanders, he was actually in his rookie season with the Islanders the same year that Matt Barzal was born. So, I mean, obviously, we heard. Uh, we heard about how when Yaramir Yager was playing on that line with Huberto and Barkov, how he was older than the two of them combined. And uh, obviously Joe Thornton was drafted the year that Mitch Marner was, uh, he was drafted before Matthews was born. And then he was drafted the same year that Marner was born and uh, not that they played together on a line. So uh, I, these types of stories are always really cool to me. So at that, I can respect that. And, you know, it's going to be a pain in the ass to see him play for the Islanders because the Islanders are always a thorn in the leaf side, but yeah, hard not to respect him. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and uh, Peter, I mean, top 30 in in points uh, during the regular season for all-time defensemen. Uh, I believe, like I mentioned, top five in games played. He's also sitting uh, top seven or top 20, let's say, in penalty minutes with 2,000 penalty minutes. Um, is this a guy, obviously, he's not. He's going to have a smaller smaller role to play in New York. But is this a guy that's still going to be as competitive and maybe as useful to the the Islanders as he once was for the Bruins? Um, I think so. I mean, a couple of side points there. He has 666 points. That's a, oh. kind of a bad omen right now. <laughs> um, same age as Tom Brady, coincidentally. And Tom Brady's still going strong with the Tampa Bay Bucks. So, I mean, two different sports, but both legends in their regard. But, yeah. Going back to the original point, um, I still, I, I said the same thing with, or I may have said the same thing with Washington, with the Washington Capitals when he signed there. You know, great value, going to be a deaf piece, leadership role, uh, still on the back end. Um, the, the Islanders are a younger team. I don't know for sure if that, I mean, point production has dipped below 20 points over the past three seasons in 18, 19, 19, 20, and 2021. I don't think he's there to play offense. He's there to play solid shutdown defense. I mean, look, just look at his size. He's you try to go up against him. He's going to try and knock you down no matter what. And 
given the fact that, you know, that he is on a gritty Islander team, they like to play that style. They love to wear and tear the opponent. He's going to fit right in with them. I know I said that, you know, he was maybe at the end of his rope, maybe one last thing with Washington. Maybe this one last thing with the Islanders is what he needs. And we'll take it from there. If he comes back when he's 45, one more season, maybe try another go with the Islanders if everything is successful. Um, yeah. And Alex, it's a good thing that, you know, you didn't see him when he was with the senators because that was 10 times worse than what he was with the Bruins. So yeah, you're, yeah. you're kind of, you're kind of what, lucky. <laughs> what, what year was he, what year was he traded to uh, Boston? He signed a contract signed after Sorry, 05, 06. So in yeah, they, 2006 and 7 was his first season. They had to make a choice season. between Wade Redden and, and uh, signing Char, and they, they went with Redden. So Char left and went to Boston. And didn't right. they trade yeah. Redden like a few years after? Anyways? Yeah, two or three years later, they traded Redden. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that would have been the year. I, I was like softly following hockey in 2005, six. I remember, I, I remember watching the, the cup finals that year at my grandparents. And then the, the next, the following year I got into the Leafs. So yeah, I wouldn't have had to deal with any of Chara's uh, antics with Ottawa. Just looking at his penalty minutes in 2000, what, 2000, 2001 with this, with the Islanders, 157, 156 the next season after that with the Senators, 116 in 0203 and 147 in 0304. <laughs> Damn, just yeah. damn. <laughs> yeah. I, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of jokes that go around uh, when he first started his NHL career. He was like a he was like a giraffe on skates, where he just seemed like his legs were so flimsy. He was, you know, kind of falling all over the place, and he didn't seem like he was ever gonna be built like that NHL caliber uh, defenseman. But his size and the way he was able to grow into his his body, um, mm-hmm. he ended up becoming obviously the dominant Zdeno Chara that we know now. So. Um, yeah, I mean, he's not going to be the, the, the guy that we know from Ottawa, the guy that we know from Boston, but he's, you know, to be a, to be a five, six, um, you know, eat up some minutes, play, uh, play on the back end during the PK and have that long stick kind of intercept passes. I mean, he's a guy that can definitely still make a difference and, um, fits kind of right into that Lou Lamorello type of, uh, type of team. And that's exactly what they're looking for. So I think it's a great deal by, by the Islanders. I think it's a great deal for Char and, 24 seasons um man you just you don't see that kind of kind of healthy you know he he's a fucking stallion like he's a fucking stallion when it comes to you know he's gonna be there and he's gonna he's gonna be he's a thoroughbred he's gonna be out there he's working those legs like doesn't matter like you you break his jaw he's back out there the next game so um yeah he's he's gonna make that difference for the new york islanders i think that's the main point uh on this one-year deal I'd like to see like a like a Pokemon evolution card of Zidane Chara oh. going from the ba- going from the baby giraffe to the stallion that we know and love. Mega evolution, <laughs> Mega Chara. Uh, somebody, somebody, get on that gif right away. Yeah, Mega Chara, <laughs> Mega evolution. That right now. Jesus. Um, vaccinations uh, here in Ontario. We have we have our uh, our elect- electoral voting tomorrow. I would I guess. Um, so vaccines are a huge point obviously when it comes to to the election here in Ontario now there is a report out there that 98% of NHLers are vaccinated obviously with the report saying that you know players that aren't vaccinated coaches that aren't vaccinated will not be a part of the organization for the time being um good news i uh, you know if if this is in fact uh in fact true that 98% of the NHL is vaccinated um 
Alex, this is this is phenomenal news for the NHL. It's phenomenal news for for fans that uh, will be able to get their butts back in the seats. And uh, obviously in Toronto, they announced that they will be at full capacity. So what does this mean for not only the NHL, but how important is it for other leagues to kind of get behind this as well? Oh, I mean, you know, if, if you're looking to execute, we, we, we spent the last 18 months talking about how we wanted to return to normal so badly. And, you know, even when hockey came back and baseball came back and, you know, they're doing it with the cardboard cutouts in the stands instead of the actual fans. Like, I, we, we watched a full season of hockey with, with no fans in the stands this year. And it was okay. We, we were fine to do that. It was, it was really not that different. But it's just, there's something so special about being in an arena filled with fans, whether it's, you know, a, a hockey arena or a baseball diamond or whatever. I say baseball diamond because I've been to a couple Jays games this year and I know how special that felt. And, you know, if, if we really, really want to get back to normal, that's just the way that it's going to have to be. And, you know, I, I think everybody's kind of at a point now where you would love to see Scotiabank arena operating at full capacity. You know, even if you got to wear masks or even if you have to, you know, obviously provide your proof of vaccination, whatnot. I mean, I think everybody wants to be back in that setting again. Everyone wants to be cheering for their team. And I think the Leafs, I, I, I say the Leafs, but I, I think all NHL teams want to experience that. They want to experience the, the, the feeling of having fans cheering for them in the stands again and, you know, actually having something to play for. So, um, yeah, and, and you know what bottom line is, I'm just happy that everybody on the Leafs is vaccinated because mm – -hmm means we don't have to worry about losing any parts of our team you know it's if someone else on another team doesn't want to get vaccinated cool get fucked goodbye sorry <laughs> like, case in for, point. makes makes it easier for us right yeah, case in know, point zach Renalbo. yeah yeah no boy. exactly oh, yeah <laughs> uh zach Renalbo is a story in himself um <laughs> Peter, this, I mean, we might not be sitting here if it weren't for the, this pandemic that started. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't know, but you and I started this, um, you know, under the first lockdown. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, we've got our, our third piece now and, and we're, we're flying, we're soaring. 98%. Um, <laughs> um, the fact that we can now say that there's a potential that we get our butts back in those seats. What does that mean to you as one, a fan, but two, a guy that obviously loves loves the game and wants to see it grow and continue to expand. I mean, this has been the onset from the very beginning to get people vaccinated. You're, you're looking out for everyone else is the main thing that I'm going to try and get the point across here. You're not like, you're doing something great. You want to protect yourself, but you're protecting those around you. You're protecting those who could be vulnerable. You're protecting those that you know you don't know what they're going through or what underlying health conditions that they have um if i were at an arena and i got vaccinated and i need to show my proof so be it you know for more of the people that have done the job and have followed the rules up until this point and those that are still not uh, abiding by the rules and still resisting the fact that this is still a deadly virus you're not getting in you don't get the luxury and i do feel bad for the people who do have major conditions that you know are cannot get the vaccine i believe um last week the san jose coach he couldn't get it because of a medical exemption and you know what that's it's a shame because you know he's got a legitimate reason it's not because of them saying oh you can't tell me what to do no he's a legit he falls under the category where he can't get the vaccine and for people like him and everyone else out there i feel sorry for so do your part to help protect them that can't get the vaccine 
And if you're doing that, you get to go in, you get to go and have the life that you had before. It's simple as that. If it means if I have to show my phone with the receipt or the QR code that's going to come out so I could go in with my friends, have a beer, potentially maybe down the road, no masks in stadium. But to get back to that point where we had so much joy and smiles and shared a laugh every now and then, even with other fans that we didn't even know, you're out there celebrating with them. That's the life that we want to get back to. Simple as that. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, okay, jump jump ahead 30 seconds right now if you want, because I'm going to go on a little ta- tangent here. But I was watching in the news the other day, and um, I saw that protesters, anti-vax protesters, went mm-hmm. in, into schools in B.C., and uh, we're, we're interacting with, with children and it forced, forced the school board into a lockdown. And um, Ridiculous. All, all I'm going to say to that is as a parent, I would be appalled. Um, yeah. I would be sickened and I would likely take justice into my own hands because at the end of the day, you, that, that, that's trespassing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you don't see the people that are getting vaxxed going and doing the same sort of things to those that are choosing not to be vaxxed. Sure, we might not agree with it, um, but that being said, you've made your decision, and you're going to live by it, and we're going to live by our decision, and there should be no no reason why you are protesting outside of hospitals or schools, for that matter, where there's young kids trying to learn. Like now you've now you've interrupted their their learning and and their school day and and set them back, and instead, like you know just let them let them go through their day do mm-hmm. do what you need to do do it in the right way if you don't want to be vaxxed you don't have to be vaxxed i mean that's up to you at the end of the day we we can't we can't we're not sitting here trying to force anything upon you um that said uh for for the nhl to be 98 percent vaxxed um for me that's I think it's 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 a milestone moment for these guys. Um, I think the other leagues need to look at it and follow it, um, because I think you know we're, we are going to get to a point where it, it will become you know mandatory to do certain. Oh, it's getting to that point where it's becoming mandatory to do certain things. And um, for me, I would love to work a full day without wearing a mask. I would love mm-hmm. to go to a game and not wear a mask. I would love to travel again and, and take my, my son to see the world at some point to do that. I mean, look at, look at places like Mexico. I think they're like 17% vaxxed. Um, you know, I'll tell you right now, I'm not, I'm not taking that chance. I have a son who's got a, who's got a bicuspid aortic valve. I'm not going to, in, in, in his heart, I'm not going to put him in that, in that, position to possibly you know get something that could could set him back um Mm -hmm. it's just you know think of other people like you said peter and um yeah at the end of the day i think it's a great move by the nhl instituting that um you know we 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 crucify um uh we crucify them the league as itself for for so many different other reasons yeah and in in this in this situation i think they they were ahead of the game you know, they've put their foot down. They've kind of, you know, expressed the the necessity for it. And if there are people like Zach Ronaldo who don't want to get involved and don't want to be a part of that, see you later. You, 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 you had the opportunity, you made your decision. Um, I know on Twitter, Mike Commodore put out a post about uh, those people getting vaxxed are, are essentially idiots. And then he, he kind of ended it with go fuck yourself. And I had to, I had to, 
I, I, I put a tweet out there and I, I deleted it because I, I thought better of it afterwards. And I basically explained my situation and said, you know what, if there's, if there's a way to protect my son from, from the potential that he, he gets this virus, um, I'm a hundred percent doing it. And I kind of closed out with, with go fuck yourself as well. But, um, you know, I, I, I decided in the end, it's not worth, you know, pick your battles, Andrew, come on, pick your battles. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great opportunity for the NHL to be be at the forefront of this movement, and and I hope that uh, I hope we see other leagues kind of follow in their footsteps. Yeah, and they did a fantastic job too with the return to plays, with all the testing and everything. And I, I granted last year, you know, so there were some issues where, you know, there were cases the games had to be postponed, and that was the risk that they were going to take. But now you have something to help out with the fact that you can't get back to normal you know, the players and teams and everybody can interact without a mask on the bench, knowing that everybody's fully vaxxed. That's great. Yeah. And the, with the way that they kind of set up that return to play, return to play plan last year, um, you, you obviously you're got it. You're going to take into consideration the vaccines weren't available at the time. And when you consider absolutely. that, when you consider that, yeah, they absolutely did a great job. And now that, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're putting the mandatory vaccination policy into place and everything. If the, if the players do, um, the players do happen to get COVID or, or something along the lines of that. Um, it, because they're vaccinated, they're probably not going to feel anything. And it might not even be cause for concern to shut the whole team down and uh, mm-hmm. postpone games and stuff. Obviously it might be the move depending on who's in the dressing room and who's at, who's at risk. But I, I you know, I, I just look at it in an optimistic way because the way they executed it when there weren't vaccinations available. And now that most, most players, teams, personnel are going to be vaccinated. I think we're going to, I think we're going to have a pretty seamless season because of it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. Great news for the NHL. And, and like I said, hopefully, hopefully other leagues will move in the same direction with that said, I want to get into our Metro division, uh, preview before we throw it to our guests and obviously our Maple Leafs talk. So Metro division, we did the Atlantic last week. Um, this could be, and we, I, I talked a little bit about why the Leafs might not make the playoffs and how the wild card could potentially go to two Metro division uh, teams. This team, this, this division is could potentially be absolutely stacked depending on how you look at it. So we'll, we'll kick it off here with the New York Rangers. And I'm going to throw it to you, Alex, right off the hop. New York Rangers, in my opinion, misplayed Lafreniere last season. Um, they've got a lot of potential in that lineup. Obviously, two very capable goaltenders in uh, Georgiev and Shesterkin. What are your thoughts on the New York Rangers? Um, you know what? When As soon as the Rangers... Uh, have Lafreniere and Capocacco um, break out officially because both of those guys are still sort of working. They're finding their footing in the NHL. Once those two break out and become the stars that they're projected to be, watch out. The Rangers are going to be a force to be reckoned with. And, uh, you know, I, I do like their team. I think that they've I, – I, obviously they've had a little bit of help from the draft lottery in previous years. I mean, I don't know if anyone would say that they were a first overall worthy team and when they got Lafreniere and same thing when they, when they got Capo Caco second overall. So they obviously had a little bit of help from the draft lottery, but um, I, I do, I, I do definitely think that they're kind of in the area where, you know, once those two guys break out, you've got those guys and you've got Mika Zibanejad, who's really, really blossomed as a top center in this league. Um, 
And obviously you've got Igor Sashurkin in between the pipes and he's, he's proven that he's kind of, he's got the makings of a potential elite goalie in this league too. And I just think once the pieces all fall into place, we're good. They're going to be one of the tougher teams to handle in the, uh, uh, in the Metro. And obviously the, but the Barclay Goudreau signing, he's a great addition to the team. I would not have given him six years. I'm being honest. I think that was a little, little bit of a hefty deal on their part. Uh, but you know, if, like I said, if if those two young guys break out and they and they start firing on all cylinders, Goudreau is going to be a crucial part of a potential run that they might make over the next couple of years. I just <laughs> the six years for a player like that is a little little hefty, but uh, overall, yeah, I, I I do like their team. I don't know if they're gonna make the playoffs this year, but like I said, those those two young guys break out and I, I watch out. Yeah, a lot of a lot of young depth. Obviously, guys like Panarin still in the lineup. 27, 23, and six. They finished last year in 56 games, 60 points, 11 shy of, of capturing that fourth spot in the East Division. Peter, is this a team that now with Shesterkin obviously getting more of an opportunity, Georgiev getting more NHL experience? Is this a team that maybe you know, you, we see that youth blossom. We see Lafreniere get that opportunity. We see um, this team kind of take over that, uh, that, that vibe in the Metro division again. The main, the main goal is, yeah. I mean, given the fact that, you know, they made a lot of improvements. They had to give up Pavel Buknevich um, in that semi blaze deal. And, you know, you can argue that trade. You can argue them trying to get Ryan Reeves. But let's face it, they got pushed around quite a bit in that Metro division. With those guys on the team, they're not going to be bullied around. Same with Barkley Goudreau. You could argue the contract, but him himself as a player, you know, he's going to help and provide a steady presence in that bottom six. And, yeah, I mean, whether they're going to make the playoffs or not, I don't know. But they are going to be very more competitive. And it's going to make life difficult for everybody in that uh, Metro division. Because it's, if you look at it from a soccer standpoint, this is probably going to be the group of death. Where, you know, a good team is going to have to miss the playoffs. And you even look at their back end. Jacob Truba has proven to be a monster on the back end. Adam Fox, who won the Norris Trophy. Keandre Miller is looking to be a very great, valued top four player he's going to have an i'm i'm hoping he's going to break out as well um along with lafreniere and cackle like alex said so they have a lot of pieces to to have a more significant impact and move up in the standings than they did last year is it going to be enough we'll see but they have a hell of a lot of great pieces than what they did before yeah i think what we forget too is they don't have that distraction in tony d'angelo in the locker room either um and, and, and I mean, oh, it's, it, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about, but a guy like that can really change the atmosphere in a, in a locker room. And when, you know, you're starting fights with goalies as, as was reported, um, you know, it, it, it creates this sort of non-team dynamic that, uh, that can really take a, you know, cause a, cause a bit of a shadow to hang over that team. And, and we saw, like you, you mentioned, Alex Zibanejad. He's he's a guy who's blossomed, and he had a slow start last year, and he kind of started to light it up, you know, later in the season. Um, they dealt with some injuries. You mentioned uh, Peter Miller and uh, Fox on the back end. Like the potential for this team is is insane. Philip Cheadle, another guy who really is just coming into his own. Capo Caco, if he can find his step that he had that that had him drafted so high, um, you know. This is a kid who's got so much potential as well. This team can be so scary uh, if they can put it all together. 
I, I'm kind of leaning towards the same same spot as Alex in, in that they won't make the playoffs again this year. But I do see them either next year or the following year making a real impact in terms of what they, they're able to do. Um, another, another team that made some big splashes in free agency is the New Jersey Devils. And obviously – you know, get, grabbing potentially one of the biggest defensive uh, free agents in, in the past few years, signing Dougie Hamilton to a seven-year deal. Uh, Jonathan Bernier jo- joins the team to back up Mackenzie Blackwood, Tatar, Sharon Govich, um, you know, Kukinen uh, signs a two-year deal. Um, they made some noise this, this offseason. And Peter, is this a team that could slowly be taking you know make, taking steps in the right direction to to jump back into a playoff spot at some point potentially this year maybe not this year i mean they, they still got to work some things out i mean they have a lot of great pieces to build upon but unlike the new york rangers they're i mean obviously the alexi lafreniere pick helped them out but they're in a rebuild but i think everything's heading in the right direction for them um, signing Dougie Hamilton is going to be a great improvement on the back end to beat up mobile puck movement defenseman. Ryan Graves was a really great pickup. Ty Smith um, had a very strong early rookie campaign before, you know, I believe he dealt with some injuries as well during that season. Jack Hughes looks like he's about to break out at some point as well. Um, so they have a lot of quality pieces and most of their players in the uh, that are going to make it really massive impact three, four years down the line are going to be um, Alexander Holtz, Dawson Mercer. I think at some point, Nolan Foote is closer to making that jump at some point. We'll have to see. I really loved Kevin Ball during his uh, camp at the World Junior Selection Camp. I thought he was a real monster and beast to go up against on the back end. And you got to look at Jack's brother, Luke, who's going to be a solid two-way defender for them. So, not this year. I don't think they're going to compete as hard as maybe they would like to, but I think give them three to four years when every when their top prospects start to come up and blossom very well, then I think you could start to talk more being competitive. But for them, I still have them in that bottom part of the uh, Metro division for now. Yeah, if it weren't for the uh, Buffalo Sabres, the New Jersey Devils would have finished last in the East Division last season, a 19-30 and 7 in 56 games. One thing you did not make note of is Nico Heischer um, had, yeah. a, had a yeah. rough <laughs> year, obviously in and out of the lineup, more out than he was in. Alex, the New Jersey Devils, a bright future, but are we still a couple years away? 100% we're still a couple of years away. And I think Peter made that clear when he mentioned the amount of prospects that are still in the system. I mean, we're not going to see this devil seem, I mean, you know, we're not that it was ever a question that we were going to see their full potential, but we're, we're not going to see a regular competing devil's team until guys like Alexander Holtz and Luke Hughes and Dawson Mercer all make the lineup and become regular players. Um, I, I, I like the pieces that they had this year. I, I like the Dougie Hamilton signing for them. Obviously, that's a big one. Um, I think they got some real stability in the crease this year. They got Blackwood, obviously, and then they signed Jonathan Bernier as well. And, you know, as Leaf fans, we obviously like to rip on Bernier in the past, but he's he's proven to be a pretty solid 1B kind of netminder over the past couple of years. So bringing him in to kind of bridge the gap and get, give Blackwood the night off uh, from your uh, – 
uh, from time to time is uh, that was a solid move for them, I think. Uh, but yeah, you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head. The division is just too good for them to make any noise this year. Um, I do like the signings they made. I, and I think that, you know, they've got a nice foundation in place with Hughes and he sure up, up the middle. I'm a huge fan of Nico. He sure. I think he's one of the better. He's, he's going to become one of the better defensive forwards in the league eventually. And I think if you can get a guy like him and then just a strict offensive dynamo like Jack Hughes as your top two centers, I, you really can't complain. And then you've got firepower on the wings and Mercer and Alexander Holtz. So I really like their future, but I just don't – yeah, you guys pretty much teed it up before I said it. I, I don't really see them making any noise in the, uh, in the division this year, but I think they're definitely on the right track. Bernier got more than Peter Mrazek. That's all I have to say. Um, I was, I was shocked when I saw that, when, when I saw that, I I figured, you know what, the deal that Peter Morazic signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs is a better deal for the team. Mm Um, I, you know, and, and like you said, we, we love to hate on, on Jonathan Bernier. Um, obviously, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of hope when he signed with the Leafs and, uh, that, you know, was typical Leaf letdown, but. Um, you know, it is what it is. And I'm just, I'm still shocked that he got more than Peter Mrazek, but, uh, yeah, I think I agree with both of what, both of what you guys said. Uh, I think, uh, the prospects are there, the pipeline's full, um, and, and they're just itching to get going, but, uh, it's, you're, you're still probably a couple years away before you become a consistent, um, contender in that, in that Metro division. So we will move on to the Philadelphia Flyers who are dealing with a Carter Hart injury that uh, could sign up sideline him a little bit to start the season. Travis Sanheim's re-signed a two-year contract with the Flyers. They added Broussard, they added Thompson, they added Keith Yandel, and they added Martin Jones for the time being. Are the Philadelphia Flyers going to be better than last season? Because last season was not a good season by the standards of that team. Alex. I mean, they clearly want to be a better team this year since they went out and traded for Ryan Ellis and Rasmus Ristolainen. And uh, obviously, they did the one-for-one swap, Jacob Boracek, for Cam Atkinson as well. I think Atkinson's a very underrated player. I think yeah. there's – you know, some people may have may have looked at that and thought, wow, that's all they that's all they had to give up for Voracek, speaking obviously about the Blue Jackets. But I think he's a, he scored 36 goals a couple of years ago or something in that ballpark. It actually may have been 40. I'm not 100%. I don't have that number on me, but – Either way, he scored over 35 goals. So he's, he's established himself as a great player in this league. Uh, I like that trade one, one for one for them. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think at the same time, they're also banking on, you know, Joel Farabee. He's going to move into a, he's going to move into a bigger role for them this year. He's, uh, he had a great season for them last, last year. And he's obviously kind of at a point now where uh, you can start looking at him as maybe giving him more responsibility and, uh, putting him in the same group as those guys like Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier and James Van Riemsdyk. Um, I think they were, they definitely made some big splashes trade-wise this year. Um, again, the Metro division is just, it's very, very, very good. So I, I do think they're going to be better, uh, but I do, I also think that they're probably going to end up being one of the wildcard teams, if anything. Peter, um, Alex mentioned the Ristolainen edition, mentioned the Ellis edition, mentioned the Atkinson edition. How important is Martin Jones going to be with Carter Hart's health in question to start the season? 
uh, he's he got to post better than three consecutive seasons of 0.896 save percentage. I mean, he's way below the average. I mean, if, I mean, the fact that the contract doesn't bother me one year, 2 million, that's, that's not a big deal. It's the fact that, you know, he hasn't been that kind of guy for the San Jose Sharks after, you know, making that deep playoff run and even then that year when they made the um or when they made that deep playoff run in um 2015 16 he had a 918 save percentage the last time they made a deep run he had eight that 1.896 so after that playoff run in 2018 19 that's where he slowly started to fall off even more so and even looking at his goals against 3.0 3.28 it's not going to cut it. And I think they're banking on Carter Hart having a really strong bounce back year because he's going to be the X factor for them. If they have any chance of making the playoffs, it's definitely going to fall on Carter Hart's shoulders. I mean, no pressure, right? But at the same time, you know, this is a guy who's had a very strong junior career and has excelled previously at the senior level. I mean, we saw him take control uh, with Team Canada at the World Juniors. Um, we saw him take control of being a really great goaltender at the world championship. We saw what he did in his rookie season. And even in 2019, 20, it looked very solid, but last year, I think maybe it was, I want to say maybe it was a case that a lot of players were dealing with a lot of things, especially with, you know, the, you know, the bubble systems where, you know, you were only playing teams in your own division lockdowns or, or being locked up in your room, isolating and everything like that. I'm, I'm not making assumptions, but I'm thinking maybe it, he, it got to him kind of like, sort of like what Zach Bogosian said with the Toronto Maple Leafs, the lockdown sort of got to him, you know, I'm hoping that maybe now that there's some sort of normalcy, he's going to bounce back and he's going to provide, you know, the numbers that we saw a 917 save percentage, two goals against average, because if anything, it's going to fall on him and he's going to be the guy to he, he's essentially the last line of defense. Cause I honestly, I just don't have any faith in Martin Jones. Yeah, no, I think you guys nailed it again. Uh, I think I, I agree with you, Alex. I think Atkinson is an underrated addition, um, you know, to see a guy that uh, like Forchek, who's a little bit, uh, you know, heading into the, the back nine of his career and, and getting a guy like Atkinson to add Ellis. Um, I think those are two big ads. I think Couturier is going to continue to grow and develop and, and be a major piece for that team. Um, you know, obviously Giroux is, is, is still Giroux. Um, and I, I think one of the biggest things is, is I think Kevin Hayes is going to be playing with a heavy heart this year. And, um, I think that's going to, that's going to drive his game, um, right up, right up the wall. Like, you know, he had a, he had a solid year in Philly last year. And I, I think this is, this year's just going to be better for him. So, um, I do think Philadelphia might might hold on to uh, one of those wild card spots, but look out because if this team can potentially make the playoffs, they're going to be a rough team to play against. They're going to be hard nosed. They're going to play that Philly Philly style of hockey, and it's going to be uh, you know when it comes down to seven game series, anything can happen. So um, watch out for Philadelphia in the Metro. I th- I do think that they they make the playoffs and they they could potentially get past that first round. Next on our docket here for the uh, Metro Division is the Washington Capitals. And um, obviously, when we talk about the Washington Capitals, they're almost always a perennial contender. Alex Ovechkin, again, signed, ready to go after that uh, that Wayne Gretzky uh, goal record or, or at least make another dent in it. Ilya Samsonov is back. 
Um, obviously, Vitek uh, Vanacek, he, he will be returning as well. Um, this team is not the same Washington Capitals team that won the Cup a few years back. But, Peter, are the Washington Capitals still a potential contender in the Metro Division? Playoff team, yeah. I, 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 I think they're still a top team, especially when you have the likes of Ovechkin, Backstrom, Oshie, Mantha right now. Um, there were talks that they were trying to, um, early on, they were trying to move Evgeny Kuznetsov contract, um, maybe try and get a better return or try and free up some of that cap space. But you can't argue the fact that with the depth that they have and the talent on both up, front, up forward and on defense with John Carlson, Dmitry Orlov, and Nick Jensen, this is a really strong contending team. I mean, th- there's no way around it. And with Alex Ovechkin still playing like he's in his mid twenties, you know, he ain't going to, he isn't going to slow down anytime soon. And with him, Nicholas Backstrom and the supporting cast there, you, you got to think that they're still one of the top three teams in this division, no matter what. Alex uh, Ovechkin obviously is one of the best power pay, power play specialists in the league. Is this a team that you you don't want to go up against uh, with your penalty kill until the day that he retires? You know what? I'll tell you a story to back this up. I went and watched uh, the last Leaf game that I saw at Scotiabank Arena in person was in uh, October of 2019 against Washington. And it was right at the tail end of Mike Babcock's time in Toronto. And I had seats maybe 15 rows up um, in one of the corners. And it coincidentally happened to be the same corner that Alex Ovechkin sets up in his, his little shop there. And of course, Leafs go to overtime and they were killing a penalty for the entire duration of it. They were, I think they, they took one penalty, killed it off, and then they took another one. And I got to witness Alex Ovechkin camp out at the top of the circle and just get fed pass after pass after pass. And I said to my buddy, I'm like, if, if they keep letting Ovechkin take these shots, one of them's going in eventually. Like it was literally like they were doing a drill in practice. Like he's sitting there, no one was covering him and he took shot after shot after shot. Sure enough, like the sixth or seventh shot finally put one past Freddie Anderson and the Caps won in overtime. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I do think that the Capitals are going to be a tough out until uh, Alex Ovechkin retires or goes to a different team. I can't see that happening obviously, but uh, yeah, I, truth be told, I actually think that the, I think the Capitals, I, I don't know if I'd say they downgraded, but I don't think they got better this year. They're very, very quiet in uh, in free agency this year. Um, they signed Ovi. Obviously, yeah, so, okay. <laughs> they did sign Ovi. I guess, yeah, they te- in, a, in a sense, they kind of got the biggest, the biggest signing of the offseason. But uh, apart from that, I mean, they uh, – they made that trade for Anthony Mantha, and I think that's a great trade for them. I also think that was a lot to give up. They gave up Verana, who also has been doing some damage in Detroit this or last year, I guess, and a first and a second round pick as well. So it was a little, yeah, a little bit questionable of a move in my opinion. Even though, but if Mantha does well for them, obviously, and contributes to some deep playoff runs, I don't think they'll be thinking about that price too much. But uh, yeah, I still think that they're one of the they're one of the teams to beat for sure. But at the same time. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say that they got better. And I think that I, I think as Ovechkin and Backstrom and those guys kind of get older, I, I think we're gonna kind of start seeing um, start seeing them digress a little bit. Especially since we just talked about you know the Rangers and the Devils potentially being on the upswing. I think uh, Capitals might slowly be on their way down, but as of this year, there's definitely still one of the teams to beat. 
Yeah, I, I think, uh, again, they're going to be a playoff team. Um, obviously, goaltending is still a little bit of a question with Vanacek and Samsonov, where they go from there. Um, on the back end, I think they're, they're, they've still got, you know, really good potential. Um, but I, I think it's going to come down to where, where does Kuznetsov go from here? Um, how does he, how does he, uh, you know, help the team this, this season? I think Ovechkin, I mean, you know exactly what you're getting with him. He hasn't changed. I think the team was very stale this off season. And that's the one part where, like Alex said, I think, you know, obviously they're not going to, they're not, they haven't upgraded, but I, I don't think they've downgraded either. Um, Mantha, he's a goal scorer. He's, he's going to go out there and get his points. The one, the one question mark for me in that lineup is Tom Wilson and, and what he's going to do. If he's going to, if he's going to play on that line again, um, there's going to be a lot of question marks uh, of, of what, you know, what he he's actually bringing to the team, but he's a guy that can still put the puck in the net as well. So if he's, if he can stay in the lineup and, and, and stay out of trouble, I think, you know, this is a team that, it, it scares a lot of people. It does scare a lot of people because you have that big presence in Tom Wilson. But um, if, if he's going to, if he's going to play the same old Tom Wilson hockey that he's played over the last few seasons, uh, we could be talking about a different Washington Capitals team. So it'll be inter- interesting to watch, but um, like I said, on the power play, uh, you know, it's almost routine at this point to, to set it up to Ovechkin and, and uh, we'll just be, knocking goal after goal off that list until he reaches Wayne Gretzky's mark. So um, Metro division, Carolina hurricanes, they had a busy off season. Not exactly. I don't know Fun if I'm going to say, it. yeah, I don't know if I'm going to say it's, it was the best off season. Um, they it was interesting. It was interesting. It was interesting. That's <laughs> a good way to put it. Obviously they brought in Freddie Anderson Auntie Ranta, they lost their two previous goaltenders that they had last season, letting Nadelkovich go for absolutely nothing. Um, they brought in the troubled Tony D'Angelo, uh, Ian Cole, Josh Levo, uh, Martin Nuke uh, agreed to a three-year deal. The list goes on. Derek Stepan joined as well. Um, Kotkin Yemi uh, on that one-year $6.1 million deal that um, – was more of a troll job than an actual signing. So Alex, the Carolina hurricanes, are they the bunch of jerks that they were before? Are they going to be a team that, you know, we're talking about come playoff time or has this team almost taken a step back with some of the, some of the moves they made this off season? I, I definitely think they took a step back. I mean, we're, we're talking about all these teams that sort of, you know, we obviously looked at the Flyers and they had all those big additions to their back ends. And we're talking about how the Devils took some of the big fish in the offseason this year, even though they're maybe not quite ready yet. I mean, I, I I will never ever two two moves I will never ever be able to wrap my head around for the Hurricanes are obviously the Tony D'Angelo one, and then on top of that, the Alex Nedeljkovic trade. And you know, for in terms of Tony D. I mean, this is what, like his fifth or sixth chance or something like that might be a little, that might, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but he's had multiple chances in the NHL and fuck, I, you know, the the hurricanes better have a plan for him. They they better have a plan for him to ensure that he, and you know, again, it's getting harder for me to believe because it's just been year after year after year where he's been a problem in the locker room gets traded and says, okay, I've really changed for good this time. And then he just doesn't. So 
I don't know. I mean, playing for Rod Brindamore, hopefully Brindamore can whip him into shape and hopefully he be, he just, he grows as a person because the NHL has proven from time and time again, that they do not care what you do in your personal time. And they do not care what your beliefs are or anything, as long as you can play hockey. So obviously the best case scenario in this outcome is that the, the Canes shape Tony D into a better person. Because if I were, I mean, if I were the GM, I wouldn't have signed him to begin with. I, that's just not, the, not, not the kind of weight you want to bring with your team. And, you know, same sort of deal as when the Habs draft Logan Mayu. Um, the Canes had a statement ready to go as soon as they fucking signed Tony D. So if you, if you have to prepare a statement to announce one of your free agent signings, probably shouldn't have signed him in the first place. But I, again, I'm not going to spend the whole thing ranting about him. I mean, best case scenario, he becomes a better person. Rod Brendamore whips him into shape. If not, then I don't want to, I don't want to see him ever sign another contract in this league again. Um, I heard that. I heard they, of- uh, sorry. I heard they, uh, they got him a flip phone so he can't use Twitter anymore. So I think that's a step in the right direction. <laughs> what about, wait, what can you use parlor on a flip phone though? Cause I think he's pretty active over there. At least he was only, only if you know how to type in T9 and I don't know if he's uh, old enough to understand that. <laughs> I'm not even old enough to understand that. <laughs> Fuck. Um, anyways, but yeah. And then the other, the, I'm not going to ramble on for too much longer here, but the Nedeljkovic move, I don't know. The Hurricanes <laughs> must have seen something in him that nobody else saw because you have a Calder, you have a Calder finalist on your team. Uh, a guy who, and what, what, what was it? It was like the difference was half a million. Yeah. Nedeljkovic wanted 3.5. 3. 3. Yeah. Like if you're going to commit, what is it like 1 million to Tony D and if you're going to commit 6 million to Kotkaniemi why can't you shell out that extra 500k to your uh to your Calder finalist goalie I don't know I I I still don't understand that move so I guess to wrap this all up no I don't understand most of the Canes offseason moves Uh, I think locking up Sveknikov was a great move for them I will give him credit for that one and Kotkaniemi I mean if you're he, he was playing in a media hot, media hotspot in Montreal and uh, maybe that was working against him. So if he can find his game and have a good season playing alongside his fellow Finns and uh, Sebastian Ajo, uh, I think maybe we could see something from him this year, but yeah, otherwise I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not too big a fan of most of their moves this off season. Peter, I'm going to throw it right over to you on that one. I mean, they're going to remain competitive in the league. I mean, in that division, I mean, like Alex said, I mean, they they still got Aho. They signed up uh, Sveshikov to a long-term deal. Table Taylor Vine looks like a really strong playmaker. Jordan Stahl says still a lot of game left in him. So they got really great pieces up front. And even on the back end, too, with uh, Jacob Slavin, Brett Pesci, still some good names on defense. Questionable at times. I'm hoping Ethan Bear can, you know, maybe find – find more of a footing or like try and continue the trend that he had with the Edmonton Oilers and carry that over to the Carolina Hurricanes. Cause I thought that was a really, really great move bringing him in uh, maybe being that top four on the right-hand side. Cause he's got very great mobility and he's got very great puck sense and playmaking ability. So I'm hoping he can add some offensive team that lost uh, Dougie Hamilton and it's going to be tough to replace him and his points, but maybe, maybe uh, some of the other players like Pesci can up his production. Same with Slavin, who is very underrated. But I, again, kind of like the Philadelphia Flyers, the big question mark is going to be in goal, uh, whether Frederick Anderson is going to bounce back. Um, I, the question is, you want uh, as a Maple Leaf fan, you want Frederick Anderson to see, succeed no matter where he was, whether he was with Toronto or even in Carolina for that matter, because he was a great guy. But at the same time, 
if his play still carries over, even if he's 100% healthy, giving up those untimely goals, those gaffes, the ones that kind of hurt him down the line in 2019-20, even before this uh, this season happened with the injuries, he, big, big question mark. Uh, they got the offense. They got the defense. It's just in goal. I, it's It's really difficult. And like Alex said, if I had to choose between this tandem of Anderson and Ranta or Nadelkovic or Morasic, hell yeah, I'm going with Nadelkovic and Morasic because you know what they're what you're getting. You know what they've been in this or Morasic's been in the system for some time. Nadelkovic, they saw him come up through the rankings. You know what he's capable of. And after what happened last season, why wouldn't you want to hang on to him for an extra five hundred thousand dollars? Again, questionable moves. Is it the right one? Is it going to pay off? I don't know. They'll be in the hunt. They'll still be in. I think they'll still make the playoffs, but it's it's not going to be as pretty as it was the uh, season before. A quick quick shout out as well to Ethan Bear for that selfless act of kindness when he bought the uh, whole bag of equipment for the uh, absolutely the kid that was about to drop out of his hockey camp uh, because he couldn't afford it, and uh, Ethan Bear stepped up. But you know, growing up. NHL players were like, I mean, they were obviously like celebrities to me. And, you know, I remember, I, I remember Jeff Skinner when I was, when I, when I, when he was playing for the Kitchener Rangers, I remember he, he kind of complimented one of my little stick on tattoos that I had. And that, that left, that left a lasting impression on me. And I know how much uh, something like that can go a long way with a, uh, with a little kid. So for, for him to do something as selfless as buy, a whole bag of equipment and basically send the message to the kid like hey i want you to be at my camp i don't want money to be the thing that holds you back from pursuing your dream uh just a incredible incredible thing for him to do and uh, a lot of respect for him class act absolutely yeah not even close to that but uh george stromalopoulos complimented my shoes when i was an intern at cbc and that was a, that was a highlight for me but <laughs> <laughs> thanks th- thanks again george for noticing my uh, my air jordans um there you go <laughs> But no, no, definitely Ethan Bear. I think Ethan Bear is a huge addition for Carolina. Um, I think you know for to to get him, um, that's that's going to be big for them. Kotkaniemi, I think, is going to soar. I think it's a high price tag for him, but I think getting out of that medium uh, circus in in Montreal, that's that's going to be a big moment for him. And and like you mentioned, playing playing with Aho, I think that's going to be tremendous for him. I know. You know, there's reports that they have a, a deal in place to to get him signed for a lower AAV come next season. So I think that that's big for them. Um, I I do think when you look at the goaltending, Frederick Anderson, obviously with injuries over the past past couple seasons, Auntie Ranta has never been able to stay healthy. Um, Nedeljkovic was a guy that you needed to keep, and I think that's a huge mistake on their part. And I think bringing in Tony D'Angelo, as I mentioned before, I think that's a huge mistake as well because I think yeah. that changes the, dy- the dynamic within the dressing room. And that's, I mean, your teammates are everything. And if you can't trust a guy like that in your dressing room, I don't know how you you, you play as, as a unit. I do think this is, it, it's still a playoff team. I think it's going to be a first round exit for the for the Carolina Hurricanes because of those those small mistakes that they made in bringing in D'Angelo and letting Nedeljkovic walk. But um, yeah. One final I, point I, it, with Jordan Stahl as the captain, if D'Angelo steps out of line, you can rest assured that Stahl is going to step in and let him have it. No doubt about it. 
Absolutely. I guess my question though, is like, why has nobody ever done that before in terms of like, nobody's been able to sort of set the tone for this kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alex kind of mentioned that, you know, it's his fifth or sixth chance. And I don't think it was an over-exaggeration because I know he had a shit ton of issues in, in junior as well. So, um, you know, this is a guy who's, who's time and time and time again. I mean, how many times we talk about second chances for guys like Mayu and, and, and others in the league, but you know, this guy's had six fucking chances. I mean, we want to keep going, you know, it, the NHL is not a place that really, really sets the tone for, for discipline. And, and I think that's one of the biggest issues with the, with the league right now is you continue to let assholes like Tony D'Angelo play in the league. So um, you know, it is what it is, but I think certain people just don't change. And he, he's one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyways, moving on, moving on very quickly. Uh, the New York Islanders, again, we talked a little bit about the Chara signing, obviously bringing in Parise, Palmieri, Bolivier, Sezikis, Sorokin, Pelic, everybody's signing with Lou Lamorello. He's got, he's got his people out there working, working the deals. So, Lou Lamorello putting together quite the team in New York. Is he is he going to be up for for gem of the year again once uh, once it's all said and done? This is a team that uh, is going to dominate the Metro Division. Um, Alex, you know, I, I I can't remember if it was on this show when I said this or if it was somewhere else, but the Islanders just continue to prove me wrong year and year and year after year. I, every year I always think, oh, you know, like obviously they're a great defensive team, but I don't know if they just, I don't, I don't know if they have the skill to compete and really make a deep run. And every year they go ahead and they do it. So I've given up trying to doubt the New York Islanders. I have no doubt that they're going to be a top three team in the division. Obviously Lou Lamorello is just, he's some, he's somewhat of a wizard and you know, he's got his guys and he's got his, his idea of a team and how the outlook is and how he wants his team to be built. And it always seems to work for him. So um, yeah, I think the Parise one was obviously a big signing. I mean, you know, obviously his contract with the, with the wild and the way that, you know, his, his time there kind of ended was a little bit tough, but at the same time, now that he's playing for, uh, he's playing for less money and he's got a fresh start under a new team under an, un, under a GM that he's known. He's very, he's on good terms with, obviously. I think he's got potential to bounce back. Uh, same with Paul Mieri. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Islanders, you know what they are. You know what they're going to bring you every night. They're going to be annoying, an annoying, pesky, good defensive team. They're going to shut you down. They're going to play the trap style, and they're going to they're gonna score those dirty goals. So, uh, yeah, I, I still think that they're going to be a, a top team this year in the, in the Metro, for sure. Peter, uh, defensive hockey, it's kind of the, the staple for Lula Morello, and he's, he's built that, that team when it comes to the New York Islanders. They might not be playing at the same home that they have been for so many years, but is this is this a team that uh, you know everyone should be frightened of? I mean, obviously they're making some pretty deep runs over the last couple of seasons. What uh, what have you what what do you see for the New York Islanders moving forward this season? I see them winning the division. Um, I plain and simple. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting Matt Barzell to, you know, I mean, we all know what Matt Barzell is capable of, but I'm expecting him to, you know, get back to that 60, 70, 80 point pace. Um, I'm, I'm pretty high on Oliver Wallstrom looking to maybe get some middle six minutes. Um, 
I, I'm especially big on Anthony Beauvillier. I think he's going to have a major breakout season this year. I think he's just poised. I'm seeing him and the way that he played during the playoffs. Um, obviously, you looked at Barzell and you looked at um, other players as sort of like their MVP candidates. I thought he was one of them, uh, scored some key timely goals for them. And I think maybe that's going to carry over into the season and, you know, maybe get out of that 30 point range and maybe put up maybe 50, 60 this year is uh, what I'm hoping best case scenario would be for him. But you also got to look on the back end, too. I mean, just the way that Adam Pellock and, and Ryan Pollock have played. Those are the kind of defensemen that you want to be on your top pairing, those two-way kind of players, those guys that still have a powerful shot from the point. They have everything lined up. And I think maybe we saw some issues with Devin Tays and how they couldn't afford him in a new contract. But next year, Cal Cutter Buck is going to be up with his contract. Leo Komarov is going to be up. Um, so there's about 6.5 million freed up in space that you can give to Ryan Pollock and increase over that 5 million that he's making over right now. Cause he's going to be a key player for them. Um, they, they just got great balance throughout the lineup. And I think with Ilya Sorokin showing that he's capable of possibly challenging for the number one spot behind Semyon Varlamov, they're in a really great spot. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And also Anders Lee going to be playing more than 20 plus games after he was injured and this majority of the playoffs as well so you can bank that with him coming back the depth that they have the talent that they have i to me i think they're going to win the division they need to sign a defenseman with the last name pollock so you can have pellick pollock pollock on the back end oh god that's going to be a tongue twister <laughs> <laughs> feel bad for their broadcast pollock, just... pollock and pollock back to pellick I'm waiting for them to have well, a game on TNT and have uh, Biz Nasty call that. Jesus Christ, oh, he'd, he'd, have a, he'd have a day. Well, fun fact, they have a Sebastian Ajo as well, the Swedish Sebastian Ajo. Oh, yeah, that's right. Defensive. So it's a good thing that he, at least he's not in Carolina because you'd have to decipher the two, the Swedish, the Finnish one. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Pellick uh, signed to an eight-year, $46 million contract. Um an upgrade of 7.06% over his last contract, 5.75 cap it over the next eight, eight years, and a no-trade clause that kicks in in the second year of that deal, so 2022-23. So you can tell the importance that uh, they place on a guy like that and, and lose a guy that you know hands out those no-trade clauses when he really believes in a player. So, I mean... <laughs> We mentioned it before in, in a previous episode with how well Lou can build his teams. And I think this is probably one of the best built teams in the Metro right now um, in terms of overall depth and uh, what they offer. And I mean, you talk about that fourth line all the time with Matt Martin, um, you know, and, and I think he was utilized differently in Toronto. And, and because of that, he didn't succeed the, maybe the way that he wanted to, but he's back in New York succeeding the way that, you know, he's expected to playing the way that he's expected to. And, um, you know, you really notice the difference. So uh, I agree with you. I think they're going to be a top three team. I don't know if they win the division, but I do agree that I, th I think they will be a top three team in the Metro. Um, and a team that, uh, you know, teams should be worried about heading into the playoff because, you know, they play that defensive style trap and, and, and it, and it works out for them and they find, they find the holes, they find the gaps. And, and that's when they release guys like Matt Barzell to go in and, and create that offense. So, It'll be interesting to watch them moving forward. The Pittsburgh Penguins, um, 
obviously we know that uh, Sidney Crosby may not be ready for the start of the season, likely won't be ready for the start of the season. Um, so again, not, not a crazy off season for them. Um, signing guys like Louis Deming, some Dev Ditt and Heinen, um, um, again signed as well. So, uh, you know, not a crazy, crazy off season for them, but we know what they have. We know what to expect from them. Goaltending the major question after both Flurry and Murray have, have, you know, kind of left that organization over the past four or five years. Is this maybe one of the last few runs for this Pittsburgh Penguins team, uh, Peter? Yeah, I, I think it's at the end of the ropes right now. I mean, the fact that Sidney Crosby is going to be missing some time to start the season. They got Brian Boyle coming in on a PTO to try and fill that center depth. That's going to be lacking. Um, and Evgeny Malkin had an unusually down season. Is this a sign that maybe, you know, of what's to come? And just looking at their depth compared to the other teams, it's obviously with Malkin, Crosby, and Latang and Gensel, it's strong. But after that, it's just, to me, it just kind of seems average at best. And it's going to be hard to keep up with the likes of improvements that the Flyers made. Washington still being deep with what they have. The Islanders being very competitive in Carolina. And you know what? I would think right now I they're, hold, they're in that fifth spot for me. But it would not surprise me if they miss out on the playoffs and even a team like the New York Rangers vault over them in the standings. Um, I, like you mentioned, Tristan Jerry and Casey DeSmith, I mean, at times they look great, but at times it's the goaltending is their major downfall and losing Marc-Andre Fleury, losing Matt Murray. That hurt them big time. And you even look at their prospect pool. I mean, I had them ranked last in the THW's top 32 rankings, because aside from Samuel Poulin and Pierre-Olivier Joseph, it's thin, it's weak. I mean, they got to stop trading around these first round picks like it's Halloween candy, hang on to them and start building for that future at this point, because they have to start building again right now. Cause once Crosby is at the end, I mean, I think he's going to stay out till his contract plays out, but if Malkin isn't, up to par with where he was at, that is a cause for concern as well. So I think right now it's time to start looking to the future or preparing for when the inevitable does happen. Alex, a lot of talk surrounding Latang possibly on the move, Malkin potentially on the move. Um, this core that we've seen in Pittsburgh for so long, we've gotten so used to, it's, I mean, it's got to be the final run for these guys. I was, you know, if you didn't throw to Peter first, I would have said the exact same thing. I was thinking at my head and uh, yeah, Peter, I mean, you pretty much hit every nail on the head. I mean, at some point you got to look at your core guys, if you're Pittsburgh's GM and you got to realize, okay, our top guys aren't getting any younger. Um, obviously on the downswing compared to, I think they've, I, I think they've sort of been on a slight decline ever since those back-to-back cup runs in 20, uh, 2016 and 2017. Um <clears throat> And I think you just, you, you got to look at it like, okay, you, you've achieved obviously a bunch of glory with, with this core. Crosby's got three cups to his name. Um, and like Peter said, you, you know, the, the prospect pools look at super thin right now. And if the, you got to start thinking about the future. You got to start considering, okay, 
uh, we can sit here and keep icing Crosby and Malkin out there year after year after year and just fill in the uh, fill in the cracks with uh, with depth players, I guess. And you can keep trying to stay competitive, but what's the point if you're going to be finishing, you know, fourth, fifth in the division every single year? I think you got to really start thinking about the future. And they had some pretty big losses this year too. I mean, obviously Jared McCann, Leafs legend, who was uh, – <laughs> Spent spent a grand total of four days in Toronto, and uh, I, I was all fired up. I made a I made a little hype video for him. I was like, "All right, Lee fans, this is what this is what we're going to be getting out of Jared McCann." And then naturally, he goes to Seattle immediately. But yeah, Jared McCann was a pretty big loss to them. I, they lost Cody Cease. That was a pretty big. I, I can't believe I just fucking said that sentence. Cody Cease. <laughs> Cody Cece was actually a big loss for the Penguins. Uh, he had a. But they didn't ship I, it. <laughs> I, I can't even bring myself to say that sentence. Even though it's factual, I can't bring myself to utter those words and not crack a smile. Like Cody Cece, for all he put us through, that shot against Columbus that went 17 feet wide of the net, and he ends up being one of Pittsburgh's best defensemen last year. I mean, good for him. He, he, he maximized his worth. He found himself a good deal in Edmonton. But, yeah, I mean, you got to look at it realistically. He was a pretty big loss for the Penguins on the back end this year. And, you know – uh, at this point, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what else the Penguins are looking to get. I mean, they, they did make a couple of potentially good signings this year, but uh, yeah, like you like you said, Peter, goaltending is a big question mark. They lost some pretty big pieces up front and on the back end, uh, and and you know, with how good the Metro is, you got to start thinking about the future. So, so laughing at that Cody CC thing, man. <laughs> I was gonna say I, I I was gonna make a McCann jersey joke and how I I bought a uh, Jared McCann jersey, but uh, <laughs> after you said the Cody CC thing, I can't I Ooh. can't keep a straight face. So. <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> oh man. Uh yeah no I think I, I I agree with everything you guys said. Obviously Pittsburgh's been on a, on a tear for for a number of years, and it, it I mean it it kind of shows you just how quickly things can turn for a team and. And obviously, you know, that, that course had such a good run. I think the turning point for me was, you know, moving Flurry and moving Matt Murray. And, and that was your goaltending. Now you're, you're relying on two guys that don't have the NHL, NHL experience to, to really carry a team, especially when you don't have guys like Malkin in the lineup last year, Crosby in the lineup to start this year. Uh, it, it makes a major difference when you sign guys like Marino for, for six years and, and really his, his NHL experience is not there. So that kind of stuff just, you know, it really can mess with the team. And, and um, you know, you mentioned it, Peter, they, their prospect pool is not, is not well stocked. And, and this is a team that's going to have to see a real dip in their, their performance before they see it kind of bounce back. So. Mm -hmm. And um, Malkin and Crosby could put up all the points that they want this year. They could still put up 70 and 80 still doesn't make them a better team considering the fact that, you know, even if they miss the playoffs, those, those point totals mean nothing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, but the, 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 the nice part is, is that in their division, they do have the Columbus blue jackets who now this team belongs with Seth Jones gone, Cam Atkinson gone. This team now belongs to Patrick Lyon, Jack Roslovich, Elvis Merzlikens, uh, Jonas Corposalo. Um, it's it's a it's a much different team than we've seen over the last few years, and it's not going to be a good season for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I'm sorry, Mark Shag over at the Hockey Writers. I know you love this team dearly, but it's not going to be a good season for them. Um, Peter, let's just quickly start with you. Um, it. 
the Columbus Blue Jackets are they are they worth even maybe mentioning in the in the Metro Division at this point? I mean, kind of the same situation as the New Jersey Devils. I mean, they have good pieces right now. But the chunk of everyone that's going to be coming up is going to be in the prospects. Cole Sillinger, Stanislav Zvozel, um, uh, Igor Chenikov. It's probably going to Johnson. Kent Johnson, yeah. Fifth overall pick this year. So they got four really solid players, three forwards and one defenseman coming up in the pipeline. Maybe still two, three years away. Three, maybe four more. Um, but I think the sticking point right now is you have some players to replace the impact of Seth Jones. And I'm looking more at like Jake Bean and Adam Boakfast, who were two really great acquisitions in the deal. Adam Boakfast, who still hasn't reached his full potential and ceiling as sort of that offensive, moving, playmaking kind of defenseman. And Jake Bean, I've always been a big fan of his with his uh, vision, awareness, zone entries, and breakouts. He's just a very smart player. So to have, you know, kind of the early stages of what Seth Jones was in the Columbus Blue Jackets, having those those two players combined of what he was able to do right now, I think it balances everything out for them as two really solid defensive prospects for them going forward. Alex, your thoughts on the Columbus Blue Jackets? I, I really like what they're doing. Um, not necessarily in terms of what they're doing for this year, but I like how they recognize that they're, they probably don't have much of a fighting chance to make any noise towards the playoffs and they're maximizing as much value on their players as possible. I mean, you you obviously saw they, 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 they got Adam Boakvist and was it a first round pick and, and Adam Boakvist for Seth Jones? I'm, per, I'm I, I know they got uh, Boakvist for sure. I just can't remember if it was the, like, I'm going to need one of you fact checkers to, to see if I'm, see if I'm right, right. in saying that. Uh, this is what Google's for. It was a first round 32nd overall. Yeah. That was used to select Nolan Allen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So obviously, uh, I, I like what they're doing. I mean, like I said, they managed to maximize their value on, on a couple of their UFAs this year. I mean, they got a fucking first round pick for Nick Foligno. I'm, <laughs> we're, we're obviously on the other end of that. Beliefs. Yeah. I mean, I, you know what? I'm, uh, this discussion's for another time, but I will say I still will die on the hill that it was the right move to make at the time, as horribly as it turned out. But anyways, uh, yeah, they got a first rounder for David Savard as well. And one thing that I am really looking forward to seeing this year with the Jackets is what they end up doing with Patrick Laine. Because obviously he's on a one-year contract. <clears throat> However, he's playing under Brad Larson now. He's not playing under John Tortorella. And I mean, I'm sorry, but trying to watch Patrick Laine fit in under John Tortorella's system, you'd have better luck nailing a, nailing a slab of jelly to a tree. Like, it, it's just... <laughs> You're, you're, looking, up with you're, you're playing for a you're, well, I mean you're playing for a coach who you're, you're playing a for a coach that a emphasizes I don't have a list on me here <laughs> I, I've literally got the Blue Jackets transactions on my screen I'm, I'm not hiding anything else but um yeah I mean with the, with the Blue Jackets John Tortorella is a guy who you know he emphasizes shot blocking and 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 defensive play and throwing the body and Patrick Laine is none of those three things mm-hmm. and so it's going to be interesting to see how he does under Brad Larson this year and if he has a really good season because I could see that happening if he has a good season what do the Jackets do with him do they let him go to the open market or do they uh, well not I guess he'd be a restricted free agent at that point but do they let him do, do they try and trade him or do they re-sign him or what? It's going to be interesting to see what they, how they handle the whole Patrick line. I think, because I think if Torts was still around this year, um, 
line A would be on his way out, but I think Torts kind of, uh, as the guys on the Steve Dangle podcast once put it, they, he, he, uh, he, the Blue Jackets are a fruit, and Tort squeezed all the juice out of it yes, that he could. And that at this point, he's he's clutching a dry mango. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how how that all pans out. But I, I do like what they're doing for the future. Like you mentioned, all the great prospects they have. Peter uh, probably won't make any noise in the Metro this year, but I think they're on the right track. Same same as the Devils and the Rangers. Yeah, I, I agree with, again, as always, with both of you. I, I think the the big piece for me is Jack Roslovich. I think uh, when he came over in that Winnipeg deal, um, he was the piece that probably produced the best out of all three of them. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, being back at home, being in front of, you know, family, friends, uh, possibly getting, you know, asses back in the seats. All of a sudden, now you've got a Roslovich who's playing in front of, of – you know, people he knows and, and it could fire him up as well. And, and he, you know, he's a talented player. We, I don't think he, he gets enough credit being a part of that deal. So I I'm excited to see what Roslovich does this year. I'm excited to see where this team goes. Um, Peter, I think you mentioned it. We, we had Mark on uh, last season to talk about the draft and, and what they did. And, and, you know, it's an exciting time for Columbus and, and hopefully the hope is that they can find a way to get these guys to stay in Columbus and, and really build that team because this, you know, it's, it's a great city. If you've ever been to the arena, I am, it's, it's an unbelievable arena. It's right in the heart of the city, lots of bars surrounding it. So, you know, you go for a few drinks, you know, you, you get into the game and, and you're, uh, you're flying pretty good uh, right off the hop, right, right from puck drop. So um, it's a great city to have, to have that team. So hopefully, hopefully that's this pipeline really, really, uh, kind of can can deliver over the next few seasons and and they can become a team that is in fact a, a contender again so that's it for our metro division um one one quick note before we throw it over to uh, mike Camito. um nolan patrick right before we started recording here nolan patrick did sign a two-year contract with the vegas golden knights the Jury is still out on on Nolan Patrick and his NHL career and whether or not we will officially call him a bust at some point. Um, you know, a lot of potential there, a lot of uh, a lot of hype going into his career, but uh, just really hasn't lived up to that expectation yet. So we will see what he does with the Vegas Golden Knights. With that, let's send it over to hockey historian and author of Hockey 365, Mike Camito. Folks, next up, I'd like to welcome author of Hockey 365, contributor to the LA Kings and director at Cambrian RD, uh, Mike Camito. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So I think I'll throw it right to, uh, you know, I, I noticed a, a Twitter shot that was posted of you uh, a while back with a Leaf jersey on. Obviously, we're a Leaf podcast. Um Born, we, we talked a little bit before we hit record here. Born in London, came up a Leaf fan, I assume. I yeah, I sure I sure did. My mom is probably the biggest Leaf fan I know, so I didn't really have a choice in the matter. Kind of followed in her footsteps. I've been a fan ever since. Uh, most I was going to say through thick and thin, but it's mostly been yeah through thick and thin. Not a lot of uh, <laughs> you know I think uh, pleasant memories over the years. Some 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 decent ones, but certainly I don't think in my lifetime we've never really seen uh, you know some of those the most highlight moments that maybe my mom got to see. And even then she would have still been, you know, only 10 years old when they last won the cup. So we've been uh, in the struggle together, I guess. As the only other parent on the show, um, 
I, I can tell you, I didn't give my son a choice either. He's got two jerseys already, 16 months old. So uh, you, you, can, you can imagine what, what parents go through when helping their children choose teams. Yeah, my, uh, my daughter definitely has, my oldest daughter has a Leafs, uh, a Leafs jersey, but she also has a Kings jersey. So she, she can go down either, either road, uh, let, let her make her own choice. Certainly, I think it'd be fun if she was a Leafs fan. Uh, maybe there's better days to come for her. Uh, but, but I certainly, uh, you know, I'll let her make her own decision, but if she wants to join me, I'm, I'm happy to have her on, on team blue and white. So I'm going to kick it right off September 28th, your newest version of hockey three, six, five hits, uh, you know, all, all types of stores here. Um, take us through what kind of made you this hockey historian. Yeah. So I'd always been drawn to history. Um, always been drawn to hockey, never was really good at it. I played when I was younger, but not at an organized level, just kind of in backyard rink out like an outdoor rink type of deal. Um, I actually got back into hockey when I was older, started playing regularly with a group of guys who had also didn't really grow up playing it a whole lot. So we were all at the same, the same skill level, uh, which is predominantly bad, uh, but we have a good time. So I played more hockey in my older years than I ever did as I was as a kid, but I'd always been drawn to the history of the game. Um, you know, I was an avid hockey card collector when I was a kid. Some of my favorite cards were learning about the players, you know, backgrounds, where they came from, why they had certain nicknames, loved the card set that was all about the NHL's trophies, learning why the Hart Trophy was called the Hart Trophy. Um, so I really liked those, those stories and digging into that history. Um, and that, was, that went beyond hockey as well. Um, that's the path I followed. I ended up getting a PhD in history from McMaster, not in sport history or hockey. Um, and it just kind of happened that as I was going through my, my degree, I realized that the skills I was building as a historian when it came to uh, researching and writing could kind of lend themselves to hockey. And it was at that point where I was obviously still watching a lot of hockey, playing fantasy hockey. Um, and I just kind of thought that all those hockey books I was reading and all those, uh, those writers I was following online, that maybe there was an entry point for me, you know, with the skills I've been developing. And that's pretty much what I've been doing ever since, you know, started writing for my own, uh, you know, website back in, I guess, 2014. And then, you know, just got some opportunities over the years. Eventually those led to the book. And, and here we are talking to you guys tonight. You have a long list of writing credits to your name, being the Sudbury Wolves uh, team historian, um, obviously a contributor with the LA Kings. You've worked with Violent Gentlemen in the past. And of course, you're authoring of your two books. But you just also mentioned your PhD. Um, I could not have foreseen myself going that route and staying in school longer, but what led you to making that decision and that, uh, and achieve that title? Yeah, I didn't, uh, if you would ask me that when I started university back in 2003, I wouldn't have thought that was possible either. I truthfully spent probably the first three years of university, not doing a whole lot. Uh, I finally got, I think a jolt in, yeah, in third year where a professor kind of told me that, there's I could give more to the class and I'm clearly not doing it so he kind of motivated me to take things a little more seriously and then I kind of realized that after doing that and applying myself that I had that I was I was good at at, at history right I'd always had a passion for it but I think with the proper uh, time investment into it and support from some great professors at Laurentian where I did my undergrad um, I was able to kind of see that maybe there was a fit for me in that discipline and then you know after graduating I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do so I did a master's and that's when I kind of realized that, you know, maybe there was more that I could do with this. Maybe there could be the possibility that I could go down the road where I became a professor and, you know, my job was in academia. Um, that wasn't necessarily the end all be all for me, because certainly uh, that's not the path that I ended up going down. 
but I realized pretty early on that if I wanted to succeed in life, regardless of where I ended up with the PhD, that I had to kind of think of the skills I was developing more broadly than just a job, right? So I knew pretty early on that uh, it was probably unlikely that I'd be a professor, uh, just because uh, my goal was to stay in Sudbury, and there's really only one shop in town if you want to be a history professor, uh, and that's Laurentian. And so jobs are few and far between there. I got some great opportunities to teach part-time there, um, but I realized that uh, despite the fact that maybe the job market was a little bit limited, I still had a lot of transferable skills to other uh, to other industries and other jobs. And so that's just kind of the route I took. Um, I wouldn't change it. I think ultimately I arrived at a completely different uh, destination. But uh, but I again, I probably wouldn't have got into hockey writing if I didn't go down the road that I did, because I think all of those skills, everything just kind of built and led up to where I eventually landed. So how did you get your in with the Sudbury Wolves as their team historian? Was that a job? Was there a position that they offered you and you just kind of like blended your knowledge of history with, with the team or how, how did that all play out? So it's a bit of a funny story. Um, so I, a colleague and friend of mine, Mark Kuhlberg, who's my advisor and the same professor who told me to, to pick up my socks in undergrad, we wanted to, we were both hockey fans. We thought it'd be cool to write a book about the Sudbury Wolves and we'd pitch the Wolves um, for their 45th anniversary, which is probably not a pretty, it's not a notable milestone, right? It's like five years later is the 50th anniversary. That's probably, <laughs> you know, uh, when we should have pitched them, but ultimately we were pretty excited about the project and wanted to get going right away. Um, they were interested in the idea, but ultimately I think they agreed that, or they agreed with us eventually that 45 is not the one we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate number 50 in 2022. And so, you know, obviously we were still interested in doing that, but what I quickly realized was that there's other ways that we could tell stories from the team's past immediately without having to wait, you know, six or seven years for a book to come out. And that's by developing stories for the website and trying to connect, you know, previous generations of fans. Sudbury, like any town that has a junior hockey team, has fans that have been going for generations, right? You go to games now and you have grandparents taking their kids, their grandkids. And those grandparents were at, uh, you know, they went to the Sudbury Wolves games in the 70s. They saw the Felino, Mike Felino. Randy Carlisle, Ron Doogie in their heyday, and now they're taking their grandkids to see the next generation of Wolves players. And so I just kind of pitched them on that idea. Um, you know, didn't necessarily go in with the thought process of becoming the team historian. I think we just kind of agreed that that would be a cool title for a job that I was doing. Um, it was not a full-time job by any means. I was at that time, I'd been working at Cambrian, um, but I think it kind of gave me uh, the end the to the organization where that was the role we had carved out and all of the stories I developed for the team over the last three years, we're focused largely on on those hockey on those history moments from the team's past. Certainly, they kind of let me paint outside the lines and kind of do some other things here and there. But predominantly, my role in that position was to just really kind of highlight some of the notable moments, you know, from Wolves history, but also connect uh, with the alumni. I think that's the cool thing about you know junior hockey is that there's obviously so many players that come through, oftentimes for you know a short period of time, maybe a year or two years, and then they're gone. And they don't all go off to have pro careers, but they go off to contribute to society in different ways. And so it's kind of cool to, to go back and revisit their, their time with Sudbury and see what they're doing now as a way to kind of celebrate all that they did for the club, you know, for the time that they were there. Mike, I think one of the greatest things about history is that there's a plethora of information there. And you obviously writing this book, you're, di you're diving deep into that, uh, that history of the game. Are you on a constant basis learning more and taking in more information about not just maybe the NHL, but different, different leagues that, you know, you're able to continue to push this kind of content out there? Absolutely. I think, um, 
I'm always finding new things. I think that's the beautiful part about hockey history is that it's never done. I mean, any kind of history is, is never done, but I think hockey history in particular, because there's so many passionate people out there who love their hockey history, people are constantly adding things. It's, it's incredible to see, you know, as people develop more research, you know, you understand these moments better. There's more appreciation for what happened. Uh, it's more nuanced, you know, with the result of, of new research and new findings. And so I think as I've been going through this process, you know, even beginning when I wrote the first book uh, back in 2017, um, as I'm reading other hockey history books and articles, you know, I'm flagging this date and thinking about like, where did this thread go and, and doing the research that way. And so I think if we were to look ahead in, in three years and hopefully there's a third volume out of the third period, I should say, um, you know, that I'm just kind of cataloging all these things. I'm adding to my, my database that I have on Twitter, where I share those daily hockey history moments. And that's really kind of where I draw a lot of the inspiration from And all, Ultimately you've got to, you've got to do a little more research and fact checking when you're doing a book versus when you're sending a tweet. Uh, but I think, you know, social media has been great for that too, because you see so many other people sharing, you know, moments that ultimately become history, right? And you're watching Leafs games, you know, during the regular season, the playoffs, and in the, at the time, you know, you're, you're just taking those games, hoping the Leafs win. Uh, but I'm, you know, thinking about down the road that this is going to be something I'm going to look back in a year and celebrate or, or mourn whatever happened that night. Yeah, Mike, like you, um, I've always been fascinated with history itself. And I know a lot of people have their niches of like math, science and everything like that. But what drew you to the aspect of the subject? Like what captivated you? And did you ever think that you would ever make um, not just one, but two books compiling stories about hockey's historic past? Yeah, no, I definitely didn't think I would have ever had a hockey book, to be honest. My goal when I started my PhD was, was to write a book, but I figured that the book I would have written about would have been based off my dissertation. And my dissertation was about the history of black bear hunting and management in Ontario. Uh, I was uh, an environmental historian. Uh, that's what I did my master's in. I focused on a forest fire that happened in Northern Ontario in 1948. And then I went into, uh, you know, wildlife hunting and management. And, you know, like I said, always loved hockey. I was reading hockey throughout those years, um, but just never really put the two together. But I think what drew me to history is just, I think, the storytelling. Um, I think at the end of the day, the historian's job is to be a storyteller, plain and simple. Um, and I liked connecting, you know, with various stories that I was, it didn't necessarily have to be about anything. I was obviously, I think, drawn to, I think, you know, significant moments in history. Um, but by and large, I just loved learning about new things and learning about like the nuts and bolts and the minutia behind everything. What went into these decisions? What was the impact of this decision? And, and how do we kind of evaluate that today? I think I also like history because it gives you a better appreciation for the world that we currently live in. Um, and that's kind of something I always try to go back when I talk to my students when I taught at Laurentian that, you know, I have you for one semester. You know, my job is just to hopefully have you leave this course with a better appreciation for history and a better appreciation for the world around you hopefully maybe a better writer, a better communicator, but you know, there's only so much you can do in four months. And at the end of the day, my goal is just to at least have people, I think, think of history as something that didn't just happen in a book that they read about, but something that still kind of is a part of our lives today. Um, you know, even if it's in small, in some small shape or form. So I just want to switch gears real quick from history. And uh, obviously you do some work with the LA Kings and they just had a pretty awesome off season. I'd, I'd say with uh, the additions of Victor Arvidsson and Philip Deneau particularly, and then you've got Quinton mm -hmm. Byfield challenging for a spot in camp next year. I was just wondering, what do you make of the Kings off season moves? And do you think that they have enough to challenge for a playoff spot in the Pacific this year? Yeah. I mean, I like those moves. Um, I think it was, it was obviously surprising when, when the Predators let Arvidsson go, but I think obviously with the expansion draft looming, 
Um, you know, obviously they had to make some uh, some difficult de- decisions, but I had the fortune of talking to him, you know, not too long after he was acquired by the Kings. Uh, I did a story about him mostly focused on the fishing that he does in the off season, but I could kind of tell, you know, by the way he talked, you know, to me and then some of the other reporters who were on the call after that, I think, you know, he's poised to have a good year. I think he wants to prove, you know, that, uh, you know, that that was a mistake and that he still has a lot more game to give. I obviously think he's over the last couple of years, the injury bug hasn't been so kind to him, but he's still a heck of a player, uh, especially on both sides of the puck. Uh, So I think he'll fit well into the King system and then certainly getting Philip to know, you know, having him up the gut as well is is a great addition Um, to be honest, you know, especially with the young talent they have and some of the steps that those guys made, you know, in the, in the last couple of years that uh, I don't think it's out the realm, outside the realm of possibility of the Kings, you know, push for a playoff spot this year. The Pacific is obviously a, a pretty weak division overall. So, like, they've got a pretty decent shot, right? It ultimately depends on how all of these players kind of come together and gel. But, uh, but you know, I, I started writing for the Kings pretty much at the, at the beginning of the, of the rebuild, uh, so to speak. Uh, and it's, it's just been incredible how much they've been able to compile some of these highly touted draft uh, prospects, right? And so I think it's only a matter of time before they take the next step. I think that's the hardest uh, transition for any team is that you've been amassing, you know, all of this draft stock and you still have those veteran players who were there when you won, but it's always, it's never, it's never easy just flipping the switch to say like, we've got, you know, Byfield, Turcotte, Kaliup, all these guys coming up and then we've got these veterans coming in. Uh, but I think, you know, an organization like that is uh, they've been there before and I think they're set up well with within the system in the front office to hopefully, you know, take that next step in their, in their evolution and get back to becoming a contender. Yeah, we're all, we're obviously all lead fans here, but uh, we're also big prospect gurus. And I have to say that the, the Kings have done an unbelievable job revamping their prospect pool over the past couple of years. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do. Yeah. Mike, um, obviously he mentioned we're, we're all, uh, we're all Leaf fans here. So I, I would be remiss if I did not ask you, um, I, I've been kind of crucified this offseason. I wrote an article about how the, uh, the Leafs could miss the playoffs in the Atlantic this, uh, this season. Your thoughts on the, your childhood Maple Leafs and whether or not they could be a potential threat in the Atlantic? I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough division, right? You've got, you know, Tampa, Boston, um, I think even Florida, depending on how the goaltending situation is. Um, and then obviously you've got Toronto. I know I'm missing one off the top of my head right now, um, but uh, but I don't I don't think they'll miss. I think I'm you know I think they I, I I appreciate the moves that were made this summer. I think that they were marginal moves. Um, I think you know within the confines of what we had to deal with. I think I don't I don't know how like enamored I am with the improvements that the team had made, but certainly I think when you saw what you know what Zach Hyman was looking for, and I think his departure certainly hurts. But I think given what he ended up getting at Edmonton, like that was never going to work here. And I certainly don't, wouldn't would have wanted him on that deal that he has in Edmonton in Toronto, you know, given the way that he plays and the age that he's at. That being said, you know, all the numbers and math go out the window when you see what he's done for the team, you know, over the course of his career in Toronto. So I certainly think that that's a big, that's a big piece that's gone, but, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind of one of those things where certainly I'm not worried about the regular season. I think as Leafs fans, we know that the regular season doesn't matter and they always seem to perform you know, well enough in the regular season, uh, but certainly now being out of the out of the North Division, um, it's not going to be as easy. They can't take their foot off the gas. It's just me, I think, waiting to see what happens in the playoffs and do they kind of flip that switch. Um, I think that's what's been kind of missing, right? And I think if they can do that, 
uh, and maybe kind of take a step back and saw, see what happened last year and, and kind of, you know, internalize that, then I think we'll be, we'll have a fighting chance, but it really just kind of comes down to um, do they have that spark and can, can they all kind of come together at the right time and really kind of get over that hurdle? Yeah, you do. I mean, Andrew asked the big question whether they'll miss the playoffs, but I think the bigger question on our mind is, will they get past the first round? As, as So that's one quick hit question for you. Will they get past the first round? Is this a year? And two, um, out, out of both of the books that you have written so far in regards to 365, what is your most favorite story that stands out above the rest? So to your first question, I'll say yes. Mike Camito says on September 15th, 2021, Leafs get past the first round this year. Yes. Um, I don't know who it's going to be. Written in the be. stars. Yeah, yeah. So we can, you can clip that. And then in hopefully, uh, you know, eight or 10 months from now, we can, we can post that out. But uh, we'll, we'll see. But, but for, to be honest, yeah, because now I've got, uh, you know, two volumes that each have 366 stories because there's an extra story in there for leap years. Um, it's hard to kind of determine which story is my favorite, um, you know, because they're, they're all over the place. They kind of range from either NHL era or outside of the NHL, uh, predating the NHL or from various leagues. I mean, the ones that always stick out to me are the ones that I can remember. Um, I think that certainly, I think that's a big reason why people love hockey history is, is talking about those moments and, and where were you when this happened um, and reflecting on who you're with when you watch that game. And, you know, maybe there's a memory of that person that kind of gets stirred up when you think about what happened. So, I mean, and this is a Leafs podcast, so I think it's, it's fair for me to say that in the first book, um, you know, I wrote about Austin Matthews, uh, you know, four-goal debut in 2016. It was special for me because my daughter was born, you know, less than two weeks earlier. So it was the first game that I'd watched that season. She had these little Maple Leafs pajamas that were too big for her. Um, you know, she slept through the whole game, but she stayed in my arms while we watched the game. My wife was there uh, beside us, and my wife just kept saying, like, is – is this normal? Like, and I'm like, no, this is, this is unprecedented. Like nobody has done this in the modern era. So this is actually like crazy what's happening. Um, Ottawa fans obviously like to tell me that the outcome of the game, but I honestly don't care because I think, you know, just to experience that piece of history with my daughter, my wife is a pretty cool moment that I'll remember. And I think a lot of Leafs fans can probably do the, where were you when that happened? And, and certainly you've got a story for that. So I think stories like that, um, you know, always resonate with me. You know, I, another one that sticks out is like when Tavares signed, you know, in, in Toronto um, as a free agent, I wrote about that in the newest volume. And that one for me was, was meaningful as a Leafs fan, because it felt like the first time in a very long time that somebody actually wanted to come to Toronto and not somebody at the end of their career who was signing a deal that we'd regret in, you know, a year or two, but somebody who was still in their prime and picked Toronto over other clubs that, you know, were in contention. And so, I included that, um, you know, I didn't include the fact that the day that that happened, I, I tried to go outside and chug two beers at the same time. I had to cut the video off because I was unsuccessful and I got a ton of flack for that, but I focused more on the moment of what it meant to be a Leafs fan and, and how cool it was that, you know, to verify sign that deal. So I think those types of moments are the ones that I remember um, just because like, I know where I was when that happened. And I know that when people are reading that, they're hopefully thinking, I remember that game and, and this is what I was doing that night. For what it's worth, on the day of the Matthews four-goal game, I missed three out of the four goals because I was attending university orientations for schools I didn't even end up going to. So <laughs> it's a, that was a bit rough. of a tough day for me. Yeah, it was. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you certainly have a better story than I do for that one. <laughs> Mike, we could uh, we could sit here and listen to you talk about hockey all day. I mean, obviously, you've got a, a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the game. 
before we let you go here, I do want to have you give your podcast a quick shout out because Peter and I started this in the midst of the pandemic when everything was locked down. I mean, we've never actually met face to face. We've kind of done this over what we, you know, what we do on a daily basis, but uh, your podcast, the unlikely innovators, not hockey related, but give that a quick shout out for us. Sure. Well, I, I mean, much like you guys, we started that and that's my co-host Steve Rebell in, in the pandemic, not at the, in the first wave, but uh, this past summer. So we've, yeah, we recently just did our 16th episode. Um, we've been having a blast doing it. Um, Steve and I have been friends going back to our university days and then colleagues uh, for the last couple of years. And, you know, we'd always joke throughout the years that, you know, we should do a podcast and sometimes we'd just be, you know, chatting and we'd be like, this is a podcast episode. And I'm like, no one would want to listen to this. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe some of our friends, but they probably won't want to listen to us because they're listening to this right now. And so um, we kind of shelved those ideas of just doing these, you know, like pop culture podcasts or whatever we thought was a cool idea. And we kind of realized that, uh, you know, maybe there would be something that we could do with work that would lend itself to a podcast. And, you know, we work in a field uh, of, of R&D and innovation at Cambrian College. We help uh, companies, you know, work with our faculty, students and staff to, to come up with uh, innovative ideas for prototypes or process improvements. And so colleges across Canada do these types of activities. Uh, and we're certainly well connected and, and kind of work towards this common goal of helping, you know, companies and organizations in Canada become more innovative. But there's not necessarily a podcast that exists for that, that type of work. So we figured that having a podcast would be kind of a great way to talk about the work that we're doing so that companies, you know, here in Sudbury and beyond are aware of, of the services and, and tools and resources they can get from colleges. Um, and then it kind of, after doing a few episodes on our own, you know, we started bringing on guests just like what you guys are doing. And so every week we try to highlight an innovative, uh, you know, person or uh, an entrepreneur from Sudbury or beyond who kind of fits the bill of the unlikely innovator. We picked that title because colleges are still kind of seen as unlikely destinations for innovation. You don't think of a college as a place to go for research. Typically, when people talk about research, they think of universities, but there's still a lot of important research and development being done at colleges. And so we're trying to dispel that with our podcast. And then, of course, Steve and I are unlikely innovators ourselves. We both come from history backgrounds, and now we're working you know, in, an, in the innovation uh, ecosystem, predominantly with companies focused on tech development. So like, we shouldn't necessarily be here, but we are because of the skills that we have. And so I think that's been kind of the focus and we've, we've had a great time doing it. Honestly, it's, it's, it's so much fun. I think you guys could probably attest to it yourselves that uh, it doesn't feel like work. Um, I'm glad that I've got a supportive boss who lets us do that because, uh, because yeah, those are those moments where you do the recording where, wow, that was a, that was a good hour of work. Um, and hopefully we, uh, we've, we've got a good response so far from a lot of our partners and colleagues. So I think we'll keep going. Don't know when, uh, when we'll stop, I guess when the guests stop, returning our invitations that's probably when uh, we probably have to put it to bed well there you have it you have the uh, podcast september 28th you have period two the second period of hockey 365 coming out mike Camito, thank you very much for coming on sticks in the six my pleasure thanks for having me guys well boys you heard it here first mike Camito has the leafs past the first round I think we'd be uh, remiss if we didn't mention that. Uh, that 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 was one of the biggest takeaways from that um, that uh, that interview. And you know, if we if we have Leaf guests on here, I think we have to ask them that question up yeah. until 
at least we get past that first round. Yeah. So <laughs> the other way, you, the other way you could have worded that was Mike Camito is the next person to break our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, <laughs> it's a repeating cycle until proven otherwise at this point. So we'll, we'll see, but I, I do appreciate Camito for filling, filling us all up with hope once again. And it's I like had mass- to ask that question. I, I know Andrew asked a question about the fact that, you know, will Toronto miss the playoffs, but I think, Let's face it, I, I had to ask the playoff one too. Like, it's either we miss it, break our hearts there, or break our hearts with the playoffs. It's one of the two. It's like Masters put it, uh, you know, who hurt you? Yeah. Who, who, <laughs> did, who did this to you guys? Well, he, didn't put, he didn't put it like that, but I could tell that's what he was thinking. Yeah. The fact that I, I, I'm, I'm talking to this guy for the first time, and my, my immediate go-to question is, Mark, listen, man, what's going to happen if they do the thing again? Like, oh man uh, yeah just uh, uh just unbelievable great great interview though and like like we mentioned mm-hmm. quick quick interview but a lot said and and obviously you know he's got his own podcast not hockey related um he's writing some great stuff um you know obviously the the history of the game just flows through this guy's mind and and like i said if you don't follow him already on twitter give him a follow just if you if you like to keep up on on the happenings of the hockey world he's a, he's a guy that really has the know know all of um of that so he's got um, a great set of silver grills too if you saw his tweet today that was a great tweet (laughs) great tweet oh man yeah and and also lee fan lee fan guys yeah lee fan follow this guy um with that let's let's talk a little leaf talk before we shut this thing down um leafs informal skate uh we had riley and hall injured so obviously uh, Leafs type of start to the season with uh, two guys going down right off the giddy up. Um, you know, Marner Marner's looking like he's he's got something to prove. What are you guys taking away from from this this initial kind of touchdown for our our Toronto Maple Leafs, Alex? Um, well, the good news is is Justin Hall is not actually injured. He made that clear at the uh, the, the Marner Invitational Charity event. He said. Dude, don't even worry about it. I'm fine. Riley, on the other hand, I mean, he got off the ice himself. I'm sure he'll probably be good to go as well. Uh, in terms of Marner, I mean, you know what? We've done our fair share of ripping on these guys. Uh, just obviously, uh, the entire hockey world has since May 31st. Um, and you know what? I We talked about this on Maple Leafs Lounge earlier. I think nobody knows more than them at this point how much they need to prove the doubters wrong. And I think that's just adds all the extra motivation to them. And, you know, people are, people are saying, it's like, people are saying, oh, show us, don't tell us. It's like, well, fuck, what, what do you want them to say? Like, you want them to come out here and say, ah, yeah, I don't know, man. Those, the, the, those Habs were a tough, they're, they're, they were a tough customer. I don't know if we're even going to be able to make the playoffs. You're like, no, obviously they're going to say that they're rebounding and they're, they, they have their sights set on greatness this year. So, I mean, I, I, I like to see that they've got this motivation behind them and I hope that we get to see it on the ice. Obviously, they'll have to they'll have to prove it. Like I, I know, I just kind of contra- contradicted myself there, but uh, they will have to show us eventually that they uh, that that they're serious about about shedding that notion that they can't get it done when it matters. And uh, this is going to be a big year to do it, I think. So I I, I do I, I do like what I'm seeing or hearing, I guess, from them uh, as of now. But then again, I've probably said this something to the effect of that every year for the past five years. So we'll see. Peter, um, Matthews, hopeful for the season opener. Um, should we hold our breaths or, or do you think this is, this is just, 
you know, maybe we should let him sit out the first couple games and make sure he gets uh, gets back in game shape. If the doctors think that he's 100% cleared up, if he's good to go, so be it. I have full faith in the doctors. They wouldn't let their top 40 perennial uh, potential on pace 60 goal score come back if he wasn't 100% healthy. I mean, he had the surgery. He felt something wasn't quite right. It's going to take four to six weeks. It's already in line that he's going to be ready for when the season starts. Um, so the timeline is looking great for him. It's just, if he gets the clearance, so be it. Great. Uh, maybe you want to try and get him in and ease his way in first. Maybe do some light skating because I know he can't really shoot the puck as much. He can still move around, skate, do some quick uh, drills in that aspect. Then once the brace comes off, then he can start working on a shot. I doubt that the shot is still going to be, you know, any worse for wear. Because even what we saw last year, even when he wasn't 100% and he was still scoring and making highly real goals. So, I mean, you, you always have some concern in the back of your mind, especially when it's your star player. But I don't think that the Maple Leafs are in a situation where they're going to put him in a spot where it's going to be like, oh, your wrist is only at 80%. Okay, well, we still want you to go out there and play game one. If that's the case where he's going to miss like maybe a game or two, so be it. But if he's ready to go for opening night, I'm all for it. I saw I saw a tweet out there. Uh, I forget. I I can't remember who it was, but uh, they said that uh, um, the estimate for for what he's the projection for what he's going to put up is 51 goals. What are your thoughts? What are both your thoughts on on the 51 goal projection for an 82 game season? I think it's too generous. <laughs> I mean, he, the guy was on was on pace for 50 again, scoring only 41 with one good wrist. And even so, even when he wasn't 100% healthy, he still put up those numbers. He was on pace for 60. The fact that 50 goals or 51 is the projection, I mean, great number. I mean, it's nothing to sneer at, but I think you got to look more 55 plus 60 at this point. Alex, what are your thoughts? I agree with Peter. I'd say, I mean, guy was on pace for, for 60 goals last season. He had 41 through 52 games. And, you know, I just, if he's still, if he keeps scoring at the pace that he does, I see no reason why he can't hit 60 goals. I mean, um, I'd argue that he's, and this is obviously going to, there's going to be a little bit of leaf bias in here, but I'd argue that he's up, he's right up there with Alex Ovechkin as being the best goal scorer in the league. I, I think Ovi's obviously still, obviously still got the title because he's, you know, what he's seniority. been able to accomplish so far. Yeah, seniority, tie goes to the veteran, Mike Babcock type <laughs> beat right there, but for real, like he's like Matthews and, you know, when, when Ovechkin eventually starts to slow down, I think that's Matthews, uh, that that's his title to take as the top goal scorer in the league. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't see any reason why we got to stop at 50. I mean, 50 would be a hell of an accomplishment. Don't get me wrong. I'm definitely not at the point where I'd say scoring 50 goals is a disappointment. I think if you're at that point, then you, you're, you're probably taking things a little for granted if there. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see him putting down 50 over, over a full 60 games. And if he can – full 60 games, over a full 82 games. And if he can stay healthy, um, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why I can't do it. I think it's an absolute disappointment if he only scores 50 goals. There we go. No, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Go. You heard it here. Trade his ass if he doesn't. <laughs> if he scores 50 goals, trade him. No, if he, you know what, like, 
to have 50 goals, I mean, you have to remember this is one guy on this team and, and this team is going to be so deep. That's, that, that's the beauty of this, this, this year for the Leafs is that the, the depth that they, the, they potentially have, um, you know, it goes far beyond what maybe they, they had last year with guys like Joe Thornton and, and uh, you know, taking up some, some spots of Jimmy VC, obviously legend, Jimmy VC. Um, but that said, they did sign Nikita Gusev. We mentioned PTO season. Nikita Gusev, um, 17 goals, 54 points in 97 career games uh, at the NHL level. Alex, what are your thoughts on Nikita Gusev possibly signing with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Gusev is one of the weirdest PTOs I have seen in recent years. And, you know, when I think of PTOs, I think of guys like, say, Mason Raymond back in 2013-14. I remember when they signed him, he had a killer – well, a killer for his standards. But I think of guys like him, or I think of a guy like Tyler Ennis, or a guy like Josh Hosang, who the Leafs also have on a PTO, who's out to prove something. And obviously, Gusev's out to prove something too. But I think the difference between Gusev and all these other guys is that I would honestly go as far to say that he is one of the more talented forwards. You know, he would be one of the more talented forwards on the least score as it stands. And, you know, he was a hot commodity over in the cage for a reason. I think he had, I want to say maybe 82 points in 60 something games in his yeah. final season. So, I mean, you know, if you're a point, if you're well over a point per game in the KHL, you're obviously good enough to be a goal scorer in the NHL. And, um, you know, he was on he was on pace for 55 points in his first season with the Devils before COVID hit. And I think when um, – remind me again who it was that was coaching New Jersey before. Was there somebody between John Hines and Lindy Ruff or was, was, it, was it John Hines in 2019-20? I think it was probably – I think it was John Hines, wasn't it? And yeah, then, I think it was John Hines. Yeah, okay. So he, so he was – either way, he was playing for a different coach. And then I think Lindy Ruff, obviously, when he took over, he Gusev started to see a little more, see a little more of the bench. He see he wasn't getting played quite as much, um, and then got put on waivers. They terminated his contract. He signed with Florida, and he produced a little bit more, but still not compared to the year before. So it's interesting because he's not a very good defensive forward. He doesn't throw the body. So he's one of those guys where I think if you're going to sign him, he's going to be a top six player or bust. Because the Leafs technically do still have that open space in their top six. I mean, Zach Hyman's not there. I mean, we've spent this entire offseason discussing who of uh, Michael Bunting, Nick Ritchie, Andre Kasha, Ilya Mikheyev, et cetera, is going to slide into that top six. And I think if they were to sign Yusef, he has potential to slide into that top six because he's going to be playing under an offensive and speed-driven system. And I think it could really work out for him. But at the same time, you know, if they don't sign him, I or I mean, sorry, if they – if he doesn't have a strong training camp and they don't sign him, I think that's all we're going to see because I, I don't see him as the type of guy that you would sign, you know, to a one-year contract league minimum and bury him in your bottom six. And if he doesn't work out, then move on from him because I feel like he's got the skill set to be in the top six and be a regular contributor, but I feel like it's either that or doesn't make the team. Alan Nazardine took over John Hines as an, on an interim basis before Lindy that's Ruff right. was hired. Yeah, that's right. I knew there was an interim guy in there. I forgot who it was, but. Peter, any thoughts on Gusev signing the PTO with, with the uh, Maple Leafs? Uh, yeah, pretty much Alex nailed it on the head. I, 
the the log jam that's right up there for the wing spots right now. It, it, it's it's great internal competition for the Maple Leafs, but at the same time, someone's going to be the odd man out. Um, I, you would like to think at at the at the moment, Richie, um, David, Com- uh, not David Kampf, but Michael Bunting and Andre Kasha are going to be the prime spots to take over the or fill up those remaining wing spots. Josh Hosang. Um, and Gusev are in tight. I mean, these are guys that have very little, I I don't want to say like very, they do have very little NHL experience. I mean, Josh Hosting only has 53 games despite, you know, New York Islanders not giving him the time that he needs or the minutes that he was looking for. Um, Nikita Gusev, 97 games. So both players have under a hundred games. I guess you can make the argument that Michael Bunting, is in the same boat, but you know, Michael Bunting has spent a lot of time developing and getting to the point where he's at right now, 26 games with the coyotes. So kind of, kind of like Alex before I kind of contradicted myself in that regard, but at the same time, you know what you're getting with Bunting, you know what you're getting with Richie um, to fulfill that left-hand spot. If Gusev, he could play both uh, left or right. If he's able to, stand out great but if hosang does a better job then he beats him out so it's 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 a very complex complex situation right now given the depth that they have and you know you obviously want them to succeed but if it isn't going to work out and if he he has the offensive awareness to play in the system there's no doubt about that but defensively it that's where things may get if you for both Hosang and Gusev, who are, you know, both offensively driven players. So if they both need to bind to the system, and if someone comes out on top, then we have a winner. But until then, there's a possibility that both may not even make the team. So um, very interesting, something to keep an eye on for sure. But it's really hard to base off anything right now with two players who have a lot to prove. The rookie camp is going on in Traverse City right now. Um, the Leafs, Leafs rookies, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, we're getting a chance to, to to see some what they have in in the pipeline. Um, Steve's obviously one guy that uh, you know had a, had a good start. Nick Robertson, another guy that's been unbelievable. I I can't see him not finding a way into the lineup this season. Yeah, um, Peter. You've been following very closely this this uh, this rookie tournament. Um, obviously, if you, if you don't follow Peter on Twitter, give him a follow. He's following it very closely. Um, what are your thoughts on one Robertson, but two some of the other guys that you know have get, been given this invite and, and are getting the opportunity to kind of exhibit what they offer the, the Maple Leafs at this uh, Traverse City tournament? Yeah, I mean. Nick Robertson is Nick Robertson. I, I, th- I think we all can expect what we want from him. You know, his high-end speed, his, his ability to be a quick and shifty player with the puck, his shot. Um, scored a beautiful one today, or I should say yesterday, um, when Semyon Dragachinsev takes a shot off the post, recovers the puck, and he spots Robertson in the high slot, and he just rips it for a goal against the Dallas Stars. So his shots on point, we saw that even during the development camp as well with some of the highlight moves and shots that he made. So I think it's best to say that his confidence is at an all-time high right now. Um, at camp with the, uh, the praise that he got from Haley Wickenheiser, 
Dr. Haley Wickenheiser and director of uh, senior director of pro scouting That's or right, pro prospect development. There we go. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, like the fact that he's come into this tournament with sky high confidence right now, you expect to him coming into the Maple Leafs camp with his putting his best foot forward. Um, you know, there's no off switch with this kid. And I know he said that, you know, Haley told him to dial it down, but he even said, well, until I get to where I'm at, I'm not going to dial it down. So he's got that mentality. He's got the drive and he's got the attitude that will make him succeed and thrive. And I think that what we're seeing in the three games so far, that they, they, I believe they got to play one more against the Columbus Blue Jackets again. He, he's been lights out. Uh, there are times even when he doesn't have or when he's not getting a shot on net, he's still buzzing. He's still making things happen, creating turnovers, like getting himself out of danger and dangerous spots. This is what we wanted. This is the time that we he wanted to get or this is the time that they wanted to see him project and get to that next level. Um, cause I think he's already there and he's definitely going to challenge for that spot. But if he ends up with the Marlies to start the season, it's not a knock against him. I think they just want to see a little bit more. And even then that's going to be more motivation for him. Saving lives and hockey vibes, Dr. Haley Wickenheiser. I think that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's the new tagline we've got for her, but that's the, Alex, new, motto. That's the new motto, Alex. Um, anybody that you're really focusing in on, on this, uh, this Traverse city tournament. You know, it, it, it's a crime because it's been such a busy couple of days for me. I haven't had a chance to watch any of the prospect games, unfortunately, but I've been following along, obviously, Peter being one of my main sources on Twitter for uh, <laughs> updates during these the games. Go -to. Uh, the go-to. Yeah. Your, in, your uh, prospect insider. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> straight from the head of prospects himself. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 there are, uh, it's obviously very promising to see what uh, Nick Robertson's been able to do. I almost said Nick Ritchie there. That would have been awkward. Um, Nick Robertson's been uh, off to a great start, obviously. Uh, we, we, we've seen some stuff from some unsigned gems and guys like Alex Steves. Uh, I, I think Mikhail Abramov has really proven that he's a good prospect in this mm -hmm. system. I think he's a guy who, you know, he's supposed to spend this season with the Marlies, and who knows, he, he could he could be a guy that gets a call up and gets gets to dip his feet in the NHL. Uh, I don't think he's obviously going to spend, he's going to stay up there if he gets a call up. I think he needs a full season in the AHL at least, but uh, he could be one of those guys that gets a little call up. Uh, one guy that I'm really, I want to see more of at this, at this Traverse city tournaments is uh, Eric Colgren, the goaltender. I don't think he started a single game for the Leafs yet. And maybe it's because, uh, they figure he's already got a pretty safe role as one of the Marlies goalies this year, and they're looking to maybe get some get, get some more competition out of the younger guys. That, I, I would assume that's probably the case, but I would like to see what he's made of because he was a he was a crucial part to uh, uh, the Vaxjo Lakers championship over in Sweden this year. Obviously, teammates with Pontus Holmberg, who's another prospect in the Leafs organization. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. And also, I want to give a quick shout-out to Jared McIsaac. Uh, he had a pretty scary injury tonight in their game, and they're obviously a part of the same tournament. Took a, took a high hit from uh, uh, James Malatesta. Obviously, Malatesta, he, he seemed, uh, according to Scott, Scott Wheeler's report on it afterwards, he seemed pretty teary-eyed and uh, remorseful about it. And, uh, you know, Jer Jared McIsaac, I feel awful for because he's only played, I think, 38 games since 2019-20, and he's had a real tough go with injuries on top of the pandemic and everything, and he's a talented player. So um, 
yeah, it was a pretty scary scene down there, but he's alert and he's communicating. And apparently it, the injury looked a lot worse at the time than it actually was. So prayers up to him. Hope you hope he has a speedy recovery and hope he gets back into game action sooner rather than later. With Eric yeah. Cauldron, I believe he is dealing with a bit of an injury, which is why he hasn't seen okay. much game time. Um, I may, I, I remember seeing something on Twitter with Todd Crocker saying something and even mentioning it on the broadcast. I, I want to double check on that and maybe correct myself next week once I figure it out. But that's why we've only seen Ian Scott and Keith Petrozelli in net at this point. So I'm going to double check and circle back for next week. Yeah, just on the injury front too, uh, worth noting, I know it's not uh, Maple Leafs related, but Tucker Tynan uh, getting back in the game yes. action and, yep. and, and recording mm-hmm. a shutout in his first game action since that crazy freaky injury against London uh, last season, so or well, yeah. I guess two seasons ago. So, um, f- you know, great great for him to, to get back on the ice and, and be able to do that. But lastly, before we uh, kind of close out here, boys, um, We've talked a little bit about possibly getting together for a Leaf game uh, at some point this season. Obviously, none of us have have really met each other in person with this lovely pandemic continuing to go on for another few months here. But um, the Leafs and Buffalo Sabres Heritage Classic at um, the the home of the Hamilton Tiger Cats in Hamilton. Tim Horton, what is it? Tim Horton's field Tim now? Horton's Tim Horton's field. field. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All these, all these sponsorship names, you know, we'll take a sponsorship name anytime you guys want. So, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's great. To, I, I've covered both outdoor games for the Leafs, um, both the Centennial Classic and at, at the big house for the hockey writers. The experience is just unbelievable. What they, what they're able to put together is, is great. Um, always fun to see fans out there and enjoying themselves. And hopefully that's the same case uh, when the heritage classic takes, takes place in March. Um, any thoughts or, 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 you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on this, Alex? You know what? There's an NHL game happening 40 minutes away from me, and that's all I need to hear. I'm I'm going to be at that game one way or another. I'll sell an organ if I have to. Uh, Hopefully, it doesn't get to that. It doesn't get to that point. But uh, yeah, I I think it's a great. It's a good. It's a good concept for a game. I mean, it's the battle of the QEW. Obviously, the Sabers are. uh, they're they're there's something right now um so it maybe yeah it, it maybe would have been a little more interesting if they had like a, if it was a true rivalry game but either way i mean the leafs and sabers i i mean i'm in the niagara region right now and niagara is only uh 20 25 minutes away from hamilton and i can speak from firsthand experience down here that the demographic between leafs and sabers fans is pretty much split right down the middle because you got so many sabers fans that grew up uh, just across the border and got accustomed to the team because of that. And then you've obviously got your league fans because they're everywhere. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting game. I think we'll see a healthy mix of Leafs and Sabres fans at that game. And I, I'm, lo- I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to find a way to get tickets to that game for sure. Peter, which organ are you selling to get to this game? Uh, what, what, what was – I can't remember. What show was it? Was the South Park where Kyle needed a kidney and then Cartman didn't want to give it up and then he's just like, oh, you got the bad kidney or whatever or something like that? Um, no, I'm just I'm keeping both my kidneys. Um, um, I was gonna say I would give up my bad kidney, but before I before I realized you were thinking about South Park reference, I thought you were like contemplating which which organ to give up. Yeah, so no, yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> so uh, it's a good I thing. Need, I made- do I- 
do I need my kidney or do I need just one? Do I need I my? I need just yeah. one. No, I'm joking. Get rid of my spleen. I'm good without yeah. my spleen. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm no, no organ selling for me. Um, but yeah, no, it's great. I mean, um, I, I, I do think that the NHL overdoes it with the outdoor games, but you know, considering yep. that the Maple Leafs have had very, very few, I'm all for it. Simple I, I'm, as that. Su- <laughs> I, I'm surprised they didn't put the game in Hamilton and make it between Chicago and Boston or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. I'm, I'm Vegas and dying. Tampa Bay. I'm oh, still shit. dying for a Lake Louise game. That's I don't oh, I don't care how many yeah. outdoor games you have. When you put one in Lake Louise, I I will go to that game. I don't care who's playing. I don't care if it's Boston and Chicago. I'll be there. I'll be there with a Blackhawks jersey. <laughs> Half in in Boston, half Jersey. I don't. I I really don't care. I just want to see a game in Lake Louise. Um, yeah. But no, I I I'm like I said, I'm excited about another Leaf outdoor game. Um, as as Alex said, I hope to be there. Um, I'm you know obviously London. I'm about about an hour away, but uh, it's worth every minute in that car to get to that game. So uh, outdoor game too, perfect setting. Absolutely. You know, you're not live indoors. broadcast, live broadcast. Let's get it done. You're not indoors. You don't have to worry about, you know, airborne transmission. You're good. Tim Hortons, if you're listening, we'll, uh, we'll shout you out. Uh, we'll, we'll take a sponsorship deal. Uh, we'll, we'll do a live broadcast from the game. Well, because I think I, I, yeah, I think because we're three guys doing a podcast, we have to go through the obligatory manscaped, uh, sponsorship first before we get to Timmy's. Hey, we we have interest there. We have interest all right, there. All right, we have some interest. Like, how good? Could, how did I? How could I have predicted that? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, boys, uh, something we didn't touch on last last week that uh, I, I do want to quickly get to before we close out the show. We did have two two questions from listeners. Um, obviously, the first from our fellow writer over at the Hockey Writers, Kyle Knopp. Who is going to be, uh, who's going to be Toronto's biggest thorn in their side this season? Alex, you want to take this one? Team or player? Uh, he, he's looking for, he just said, who's going to be the, the Toronto's biggest thorn. So All right. let's go, let's go team. Let's go team. Okay. I, I, okay. Uh, well, that, I don't even have to think about that one. Ottawa. It's 100%, 1 million percent going to be the Ottawa Senators. They were, a th- you know, I remember going into the playoffs uh, this past season. And right before they got in, I remember I was thinking, like, it's a good thing that Ottawa's already mathematically eliminated because they would be the last team I'd want to face in the playoffs. Of all the North Division teams that were there, I would have wanted to face Ottawa the least. That says a lot, considering that they were another, they were a, a top 10 lottery team again. So, I mean, uh, yeah, they're, they're always, they always put up a fight, regardless of whether they have the skill to match up with Toronto's. They've got the grit and they've got the hustle, and they're always going to be a thorn in the Leafs' side. So, yeah, I don't even have to think about that one. Peter, your thoughts? I was going to say the Boston Bruins, but the fact that the Maple Leafs have had success against the Bruins during the regular season, I'm not going to say them because even the past few years, the when they played each other, whether it's in Boston or in Toronto, it's been a pretty great even matchup. I think maybe one blowout here and there for in Boston's favor, but Toronto has answered the bell against Boston. Um, I'm going to say the Florida Panthers, and because the past few years, it's been Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto. Now you got another team in the fold that has a really solid forward unit, great depth on defense, and a potential starter in Spencer Knight. So knowing the Maple Leafs and rookie goaltenders, you know Spencer Knight is going to like post a shutout every single time when he plays against him this year. So I'm going to say Spencer Knight 
Not even the Florida Panthers, just Spencer Knight. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I was going to say the Boston Bruins as well because Nick Foligno, Taylor Hall, supposed Uh, to be Leafs, and they were going to kill us. But I am going to change that, and I'm going to go Montreal Canadiens, and this is why. Because Mm -hmm. Gallagher is a pest. He will always be a pest, and he will find a way to just involve himself in every aspect of the game against the Maple Leafs. Um, because Jeff Petrie seems to outscore the Maple Leafs every game that he plays against against Toronto, and because Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield might be the newest dynamic yeah. duo in the Atlantic Division, and that is a scary, scary, quick duo that I don't think Toronto will get a handle on right off the hop. So I'm going to say Montreal Canadiens in this one. Mm-hmm. The last question that we had, and be very careful what advice you give him because he is in my fantasy keeper league, but we had Kyle Thomas on Twitter ask, fantasy hockey related, but who do the hosts have as their most skilled player and highest potential upside from the 2021 NHL draft from fan, from a fantasy hockey perspective? So Peter, as the head of our prospects, 2021 draft, fantasy hockey perspective, who are you going with? Ah, okay. That is a very tough one. Fabian Lazelle? No, 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 not not Fabian Lazelle. He's going to take some time. Um, Tyler Boucher? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's go with Tyler Boucher. Why not? Um, (laughs) Don't, don't, no, 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 no. Don't listen to him. Um, (laughs) um, it's. I want to say three choices. I'm looking at three choices right now, but I'm going to say he's had the highest ceiling for me ever since I started watching him last year. And that was William Eklund. Um, Mainly because of his drive, his work ethic, his ability to be very shifty. And he's always in the right spot. Always, always one step ahead of the competition. I think maybe he has out of everyone in this draft, he has the, or I'm going to say everyone in that top 10, even with the likes of Mason McTavish, Kent Johnson, and Matthew Beniers, I think William Eklund has the potential to be the highest point producer out of that group. I, I, I Again, thinking way too ahead of myself right now, it's hard to judge that, but given what I've seen, he's just way too good. And I think he's going to have probably the highest potential out of that draft class. Alex, throw it over to you. Uh, I hate to be the yes man to jump on board, but I, it's Willie Mecklen for me too. I mean, he, he, you know, I, Peter, you listed off a couple of guys that I was considering there too. Um, obviously Mason McTavish and Kent Johnson both have tons of potential. I think another sneaky underrated option I'm going to throw in there too is Dylan Gunther. Yes. I think he, with, mm-hmm. with Arizona being kind of where they are right now, I think he's going to get into their lineup sooner rather than later. And uh, if you, if your if your fantasy league is high on goals, I mean, he's, he's going to give you lots of those. So uh I, I'll throw, you know what, I'll switch my, I'll say Gunther. Uh, and you know what, just to, I mean, you, you, he's heard Peter's take. So uh, if he opt, if he opts to go with, uh, go with Dylan Gunther instead of William Eklund, that's on, that's on him. Cause we, <laughs> cases. but, but uh, you know, yeah, I will go with Dylan Gunther because I think like Eklund, he's going to have a chance to get into that lineup pretty quickly. And uh, uh, Gunther's going to, he's, I mean, I don't know if you saw that video of him scoring and, uh, in, in one of their rookie just camp nasty. games. Yeah. He oh, he just he ripped the puck from the slot and he shattered, well, not shattered, but he exploded the water bottle. Like, 
the fact that he's already got a he's got beyond an NHL ready level uh, NHL ready yeah. shot at this point. So I, I think when he gets into the lineup, he's going to be a good goal scorer for them. Rest in peace, water bottle that 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 broke it. But yeah, yeah. Boys, I'm going to plead the fifth here because I have the third overall pick uh, following his first, so I'm not going to give any advice um, <laughs> at this point. Good luck. I am still rebuilding for the eighth straight season in this Keeper League, so uh, best of luck to Kyle as he he yeah. takes the first overall pick in 2021. Yeah. And, and, and Kyle, for any, and for, sorry, go ahead, Peter. I was just going to say, and Kyle, if we're wrong, we are terribly sorry. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think I think I think if we're wrong, uh, Alex says "fuck you." But um, <laughs> you know, that's that's just me. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't come out and say it, but I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad that you said the words for me. Um, one, one, one other thing I do want to say too. Thank you, Kyle Knopp and Kyle Thomas for the for the questions. That yes. they make the uh, absolutely they, they they make the part of the show. I mean, I love answering questions from viewers and stuff. And I will I make a disclaimer that we do take questions from people not named Kyle. <laughs> just in case there's anyone listening out there and here they i think i think the two kyles supplied our questions last time too so um yeah uh, we'll, we'll we'll definitely have to uh have to open the doors a little bit yeah if you're not named kyle you're, you're free to answer and free to ask us questions too yeah no absolutely guys and uh as as you mentioned we always love hearing from our listeners um we we are doing very well in season two thanks to all of you guys um And uh, as always, there's lots of ways to reach out to us. We want to thank you all again for listening in and tuning in to episode 53. We want to thank Mike Camito for joining us this week on the show. Uh, You can follow Peter on Twitter at PBarracchini. You can follow Alex at HobsonA16 or myself at Andrew G. Forbes. Or you can follow the podcast at Sticks in the Six, S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E-6-I-X-P-O-D. Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast to download our latest episodes. And be sure to hit subscribe, rate, and review on those sites or on YouTube where you can find us on all of our video content um, as we continue to head into puck drop for the 2021-22 season. Until next week, episode 54, boys. Always a pleasure. Glad to have you guys on. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Likewise. Absolutely.